As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. And there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by David Jaffe, current consultant and movie games. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by David. How are you? I am pretty darn good, sir. How you doing? Very well. Coming off, uh, you're coming off a, a fairly lengthy interview yourself. Um, yes. So yes. I guess you're high on energy and th- uh, things are well, going well. We, yeah, we just I, Colin Moriarty of uh, 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 Last Stand Media and I just wrapped up a, like a four-hour marathon uh, conversation slash interview. Uh, and, and, and usually when it's a really good chat and that was a really good chat at the end, you got about 10 or 15 minutes of adrenaline of just like, Whoa, that was fucking, you're pumped. And then, <laughs> then you start to crash. So the good news and the bad news, uh, although my guard is never up, I'm always pretty fucking honest. I was going to say the good news and the bad news for you is my guard is pretty much down because I'm exhausted now. Oh, so pretty much anything, a whole host it, of it, awesome yeah, cool it, things, it, right? it, 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 Anything you ask, I'll tell you. But I would tell you anything as lo- anyway, as long as it wasn't something that wasn't mine to share. So no, that's fair enough, and I'm really looking forward to it. Colin himself was a was a past guest of the show about six months ago, so and I felt nice. exactly the same afterwards. It was kind of coming down from a from a high of sorts. Yeah, we're just you know really intense interview, really cool things di- discussed, and now we get to do the same because this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and we discuss the journey that's led to this current point. But David, before we dive into the specifics of your career, I'd love to explore some of the games that you played before you actually got into the creation of games. Do you remember what the first game was that you played? I do. It was uh, it was called Boot Hill, and it was in Florida. I grew up in Alabama, and we vacationed a decent amount in Florida. And it was uh, a, a, a cowboy game where the only graphics were little pixel cowboys that were being projected onto a piece of plexiglass. Yeah. And then behind it was, you know, the cabinet included hand-drawn, uh, hand-painted art of sort of like a Western graveyard. And so whenever you're, and it was basically all the game was, was each character stood across from each other uh, and, and shot a pixel and eat each other and whoever hit the other one first and you could kind of, I think there was a knob that you rotated the arm with to, to aim yeah. and whoever shot the other one first, their body went up into a, a graveyard on boot Hill and that was the game. And I was enamored then. And then I remember playing Pac-Man for the very first time when I was probably, I must've been around uh, nine for that one, but all, all, you know, boot Hill, I was like six or five. And, and then all throughout childhood and teenage years, and I, I've, I've always been a gamer. My dad brought home uh, the precursor to the Atari, oh, yeah, okay. uh, which I, I think was called like the, uh, it was like a triangle. It was a literal triangle console. And on one side of the triangle, there was a steering wheel. On the other side of the triangle, there was like pong paddles. And on the final side of the triangle, there were, uh, there was a gun in a, in a holster. And the cartridges were also triangles. And so each game had three games. Each card had three games on it. And if I remember correctly, each cart um, used one of the different side peripherals differently. So, uh, and then from there it was Atari and 
Apple and TRS-80 computer programming, making my own little games and playing tons of games, and then NES. And by the time the SNES rolled around and the Sega Genesis, I was in college playing, always in the arcades as well. And then I got my job as a tester at Sony uh, right when the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, and they had just started to release the the 32X for the Sega, and the Sega CD had just come out. So that was sort of professionally... Um, where, where, where things were, you know, in terms of, you know, generational, uh, hardware, when I got into the industry, I remember my first day as a tester, I walked into the Sony music building and they were, I think we were up on the third floor, Sony ImageSoft, And, uh, I had a cubicle, uh, and it was, I, I got in there early the first day and it was like Christmas because it was like boxed brand new. Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, NES, Game Boy, Game Gear, um, uh, Sega CD, three, 32X, like everything that plays games. And it's just saying, go was for it. it. And it's like, yeah, here, here's, here's, here's the shit you need to do the job we hired you for. And uh, I think my very first game, actually, my very first game, I think, was Hook, the Spielberg movie, oh, um, yeah, okay. the game. And uh, I spent... Uh, you know, I, I, I tell the story a lot, so people who follow my stuff may be sick of it, but it, it really is true. I I was convinced I was going to be fired um, because, like, the other testers took about three hours to finish Hook, and I took three days. And I remember getting to my therapist appointment, like, the end of the second day, and I said, I think they're going to fire me. And he's like, why? And I'm like, dude, because I'm, I'm, I can't, you know, I'm a good tester. I'm finding bugs, but my goodness, I'm slow. Uh, but thank God they didn't. And I ended up, you know, that's how I got started. And that's how I, you know, went from that and started pitching video games. And we got a game with Disney, which was Mickey mania. And we were off to the races, man. So given like that period there that you were just discussing with the, with the testing, would you just say that was, you were particularly meticulous compared to the others around you or like, what, what do you think no. was that point of difference I mean, I, that was resulting I, I, in three I, days I, versus I, three hours? Well, there's two things. I mean, I, I think I was a good tester, uh, because I did have a little bit of background, not like in, you know, it was like basic programming, but, but you know, I, I was learning basic programming and making my own little stupid video games that were rinky dink, you know, from the time I was about nine. So I, I had grown up with sort of the way computers work and the logic and all that. So it was easy for me since I wasn't only coming to the table as a gamer who loved games to be a tester, but I also understood why areas of games might, be more buggy than others based on how I knew kind of the, the logic worked. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I was good at that. Um, and I was very articulate, you know, I was an English major coming out of college. And so I was able to be a, a you know, a really good describer. That's a terrible word. I'm an English major. There's a verb. Yeah, I'm a describer. <laughs> describer. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I could articulate well, uh, what the programmers and what the team, uh, needed to look for based on the bug that I was identifying. Now, you know, now you have video and all this stuff, but back then it was it was pretty much words yeah. on a piece of paper going, okay, the area on the pirate ship uh, by the masthead of the woman that looks like a fairy, uh, you know, if you use this combination of weapons uh, while you're jumping, the game will crash or something stupid like that. So, um, but I wasn't, you know, I was always a gamer, like I said, from being a very little kid, but I was not, I was not hardcore. I was casual hardcore. Like I would play everything. I loved the arcades. I owned consoles. Um, but I wasn't, you know, the, the two testers I was paired up with, there were only three testers at the entire company at the time, which is insane compared to what test departments are today. They're huge. But, 
Yeah, but these guys were hard fucking core. I mean, these guys were into, I mean, they were they were sort of otaku. You know, they were into anime and they were into manga and they were into Japanese imports and they were you know hardcore Street Fighter guys and they really could talk the talk and walk the walk. And I think just by comparison, you know, I was just sort of a very vanilla mainstream guy who loved video games, but it wasn't my life. And in that, I just think they were, you know, they had more practice and were higher skilled. And so um, I think that's why it took me so long. Cause I was a normal fucking human being and they were fucking, you know, robots. God damn <laughs> Would you say that there was a point? So obviously you said you were playing games from a very early point. You even started uh, a little bit of development in your own, as you described the rinky dink sort of titles there from a, from a very early age right. as well. Would you say that there was a point where you realized, Hey, this is something I really want to, pursue professionally no. because i've also got not just in my notes here i've, I've got you know there was an initial uh, pursuit so you were going to the usa school of cinematic arts and an initial pursuit to direct film there um so was there a point where obviously Never. you identified that that wasn't for you and the games were the pathway no well yeah eventually sure but i i i the only reason i had a job at sony to begin with is uh and i i went to usc i haven't graduated i have literally two credits left because i kept dropping a class because i hated the teacher and they kept putting me back into their class and i was like the reason i dropped it was because i hate them why are you putting me back in and they're like it's random we don't know where you're going to end up i'm like well i'm dropping it again so i i never graduated i got to my senior year of college i was an english major creative writing focused uh i did not get into the cinema school even though i made movies all throughout college high school junior high grade school i was always into making movies but my grades weren't very good so they didn't let me into film school and so um yeah. the sony job at first was literally just like okay i'm out of money uh, i need a job i had sold some television shows and stuff to let's see i sold one to new line that became warner brothers was the first one and then i sold one to universal studios um and i didn't know enough and i just like okay well these are going to go into production soon i'll just do a job over the summer while i'm waiting and I didn't know enough to know that just because somebody buys your show doesn't mean it's going to go into production. Um, you know, yeah, they buy shows all the time. Yeah. And so uh, I, I was like, well, I need a job. And I, I was reading uh, that uh, I, I know the issue one day if I, you know, I'm not, I'm not as nostalgic about these things as I used to be. But there's That's an it. EGM magazine with um, Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine with the Dracula Sega CD cover uh, on it. And that was the one that in the back of it I was reading and I was like oh, these guys are in my hometown. They're in Sony, they're in Santa Monica. And so I'm like, I've heard about testers. Let me open the phone book. This is how long ago it was. There was no internet. And I opened the phone book and I'm like, yeah, they're fucking down the street. So I called them and they said, yeah, we're hiring a tester. And I went in and, you know, but, but it wasn't until I got in, even when I was in up until Twisted Metal, uh, I was still thinking maybe I could be a director. But what I found was um, I really was very fortunate in that I got into the industry at a very sweet spot where I wanted to make movies. I wanted to tell stories. I was very excited that I realized I could do that through video games. So I'm like, well, I could go out there and keep pounding the pavement and trying to get something off the ground. But here's Sony with all their money at the time and all their toys and all, all the influence the I could have. Yeah, and it's like, sure, it's interactive, but I was looking at it as just sort of the next, I was looking at it like the holodeck. I'm like, it's interactive, but that's brilliant. That's even better. I didn't know much about interactivity at the time other than just being a gamer, but it was enough to sort of knock me off the linear narrative path and say, let's try to bring my creative juice to something that's available. And so, 
you know, I, I may have flirted with getting back into, I, I mean, I had flirted with getting back into writing as recent as like three years ago. Yeah, okay. And finally at like 48 or 47, I finally was just like, yeah, that's just really not for you. But it took me a very long time to realize that. But I got into the industry and I was influential in the industry at a time where, you know, I, I've said before, I said recently, like I, I, I look at like someone like Neil Druckmann or Corey Barlog. I think those guys are better writers than I am. Um, I'm pretty good at building IP. I'm pretty good at play mechanics. But I think ultimately what I did with the games I did in terms of building IP and games around those with the teams that I was fortunate to work with, that was that was my sweet spot. And then yeah. ultimately what ended up happening was the games even got more advanced and the, the, the gamers expected more kinds of stories and, and, and deeper, more meaningful stories than what I was capable of doing. And I sort of began to sort of move away from it, uh, at least in that type of game. But I was really fortunate because at the time I got in, I, what I was selling was fresh and interesting and gamers really responded to it because most games at the time were not doing that kind of stuff. So I was doing it, but I was kind of doing it at a, you know, comparatively speaking, like an average sitcom level of quality. And then now these days you've got guys and girls who are doing it probably, I, you know, we're, I, I'm not going to be hyperbolic like a lot of people. It's like, we have our Scorsese's now. No, we don't. But, 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 but we certainly are at a point in games where at least that type of game because, I mean, you know, gameplay and game mechanics have been around for millennia. But in terms of interactive uh, movies or stories done via electronics, I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say we've definitely come a long way in a very short time in terms of the quality and the, the, the depth. Uh, I, the biggest lack is in play mechanics, even still to this day. But In terms of the diversity said, in play mechanics, is that what you mean? Like the, in know, terms of the what, in terms the what? diversity in them, as in your know, range of choice no, and what you can and can't do, no, and we've just kind of stagnated. No, Is that... no more in the uh, the fact that you know somewhere along the lines, it was probably. I mean, it was right, honestly. You can go back to the the. I mean, Miss Pac-Man was the first one to have a cutscene, but certainly the NES days popularized it. With you know, even though they weren't movies, they were still images with a little animation and text, like in Contra. Now I'm following. And it was, yeah, and it was just kind of like, okay, well, I guess that's how we tell our story. And every now and then, even to this day, you'll have a developer come along or a designer come along and say, you know, those games are great, especially the ones like Top of the Food Chain, like Last of Us 2 and God of War, but they're more and more expensive. So much about what people love about them is not the strength of the medium. It's the strength of the movie medium. And so you're basically having to make two products, which is why you're watching these budgets go through the fucking roof. You're having to make, you know, a, a multi-hour well animated movie and you're having to make a game. The game, and I, and I do love some of those games a great deal, but um, the we games that resonate the with me, yeah, well, they're some of the best of that genre, but the games that resonate with me are the ones that manage to sell IP and sell immersion into a world and, and tell stories that I get to actually live. Um, that I feel like I'm, you know, that, that are more, that are more embedded into the play mechanics and the journey of exploring the world versus just playing and watching a movie and playing and watching a movie. So I'm very much a purist in the sense that I absolutely believe video games are an art form. Uh, but I believe that, 
the, 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 the real, the real power of them as a medium is barely touched on because it is very hard. It is very hard to talk about. It may not even be with our AI capability right now possible because we may ultimately need to be, need to be relying on machine learning uh, to do this stuff in real time like the yeah, holodeck. Okay. But right now, you do have individuals that are hand carving it and handcrafting it. And when it works, when you play a piece of gameplay where the story and the interactivity merge perfectly, you get a glimpse of the future and you say that's the art behind this medium. It's not a beautiful artistic cutscene followed by beautiful gameplay. Those things are wonderful. But the real the real secret in the sauce is using what makes the medium special to create interesting thoughts on the part of the player and emotions on the part of the player. That's that's what I say. No, I'd, I'd argue that you're 100% on the money. Like Eliciting emotion and those reactions from the player is exactly what the whole thing's about, what, whatever that emotion might happen to be. And that's right. that's where we're starting to see, I guess, more creators start to experiment a little bit with what they can actually pry out of the player as well. Uh, the one, the ones that are looking for that, I think the biggest challenge is, you know, it's funny, you know, the biggest games on the block are not the Sony first party games. Uh, the Sony first party games are uh, the ones that are trumpeted and celebrated as they should be. I mean, there's nothing, nothing about them that is not worth, you know, writing about and talking about. They're brilliant. But the ones that sell the most and the ones that really connect with a lot more people are the ones that really don't uh, try to compete with the movies. If you look at things like Among Us and Fortnite and uh, Minecraft, and uh, uh, like. Minecraft and Fall Guys and even Call of Duty, which is multiplayer, that's where, where the bread and butter is there, like Warzone or Apex Legends or what, on, on and on and on and on and on. Um, ultimately, the vast majority of people who game uh, are not using it as uh, a replacement for their storytelling diet. And I think a lot of that is because most people would rather just get their stories by turning on Netflix or going to the movies and they'll get their games somewhere else. But I do think those two things can merge in a beautiful way. But I, it's, it's incredibly difficult. It's really hard. I think it's going to be a combination of um, sort of creative individuals and uh, brilliant technology in terms of AI. I don't think you can handcraft that. I think it's got to be That's almost, it's, yeah, it's almost like a, a director, writer, group of people have to come in and say, hey, AI, um, here's, here's, the, here's the vibe. Here's what we're going for. Here are the beats. Here's this. Here's that. Now we need you to use your brilliance that we can't think at that speed to kind of design and write this around the player so it feels immersive. I think that's the only way you're really going to do it, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, time, time will tell in that space. But as, as we re rewind back to some of your earliest points in the actual industry, so you obviously mentioned you were doing the testing, and from there there's uh, Sony Image Soft, and you mentioned, I mean, some of the games that popped up over the journey were Skyblazer and Cliffhanger, and then, of course, you huh? mentioned Mickey Mania there as well. There's Three Ninjas Kickback. Um, what was that like when you, you've gone from, from doing all this rinky dink stuff at home as you described again and then all of a sudden you're actually doing it in a professional paid setting there's people around you working as a part of a team what was that like having gone from doing things solo to doing things as a it, it, uh, as it a really wasn't it because i was never a serious game developer on my own it wasn't like i was you know john romero or richard garriott or even cliff plazinski kind of making games 
to sell, putting them in Ziploc bags, taking them down to the computer store. Oh, I was just kind of making stupid paint programs and adventure games for me and my friends. And it never occurred to me to really do anything with them because I was, I was going to be a filmmaker. So when I actually went into being a tester and then eventually got into making games, uh, I didn't view it through the, uh, a comparison lens of what I had done as growing up. I viewed it more, um, how can I take my love of storytelling and movies and cinema and how can I bring that to the interactive form? So that's what I was really leaning on and comparing and comparing it to not, um, the fact that I had made games before, because at that point, I mean, you know, as simple as Mickey mania is today, um, those guys at traveler's tales were doing a lot of things that were groundbreaking for a cart based game. Um, I mean, there were some crazy shit they pushed that engine to do. And that was, you know, that was, that, that was the equivalent of, you know, I, I had the capability and experience of walking from my house across the street. And this was the equivalent of these guys sort of mounting an expedition to the moon. They weren't even comparable. So I, I didn't make that, I didn't make that connection between what I had come from as a rinky dink game guy and this, it wasn't, That's it fair. wasn't even in my brain. Yeah. So a couple of the IP that you are most known for, are of course, Twisted Metal and then God of War. Um, yeah. twist, Twisted Metal coming first. How did that idea first come to be? Uh, so it, it, it was interesting. The, 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 the germ of the idea was we had gone out to uh, a company called uh, Evans and Sutherland. And we knew, you know, PlayStation, we were Sony ImageSoft. So our job uh, was to make video games based on the Sony movies and TV properties like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and all that. Yes. And with the exception of a handful, they were shit. Um, they were utterly shit. In fact, the, I would say the only games that were ever not shit were the ones that were produced by Alan Becker, who ultimately went on to uh, be the leader and run Sony Santa Monica and then went on for a very long time to run uh, uh, Sony Japan Studios for PlayStation. So it makes sense because he was kind of the most talented guy there in terms of sort of understanding games and the industry and all that and so every now and then we'd squeak out a winner like sky blazer was great wasn't a great seller it was a great game though hook was great there was a spawn game for the super nintendo that was great there was equinox um was great but most of the games were utter pieces of shit um and sony playstation was going around uh meeting with uh pretty much everyone developers publishers you know singing the praises of playstation showing us the dinosaur the famous dinosaur oh, demo yes. and all that and going you know this is the future do you guys want to make games for it and so we had discovered a guy named brian wicklam who was a producer at the time um we had discovered uh or he had discovered a, a studio called evans and sutherland um in utah and a bunch of those guys are the same guys who went on to found pixar but they were doing real-time 3D databases and they were doing flight sims and, and tank sims and all kinds of training sims for the military. And so we were like, or he was like, you know, if we work with these guys, because these guys want to do a gaming division, th- we're not going to have the uh, steep hill that a lot of other game developers are going to have to go up, which is going from 2D to 3D. They already know how all this works. They're actually going to have to scale down because the PS is not obviously as powerful as like a military proprietary computer that runs F 14 Tomcats and whatnot. And so, um, we went out there, we met them. My mind was absolutely blown because other than a couple of little, you know, weird game, not weird, but sort of, you know, I'd seen alone in the dark on PC. I'd seen stunt Island from Disney interactive on PC. But other than that, 
I had no experience with 3D graphics. All I really knew was like Mortal Kombat from the arcades and all the games I grew up with and, you know, side scrollers and all that. And when I was there and I was able to, you know, in VR at times and sometimes just with a flat screen, literally walk around a Martian environment. And the one I remember the most was uh, I'm in a spaceship flying around Mars and there are these dome cities in the distance, like sci-fi floating cities inside of a floating dome. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I think it was Scott Campbell who I went on to found Eat, Sleep, Play with. And he was the producer of all the Twisted Metals and one of the designers and directors. Um, he's like, why don't you just go to the city and look around? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's in the background. He's like, no, there is no background. It's 3D. Just go to it. I'm like, are you, are you shitting me? He's like, no, go. And lo and behold, I'm like, oh, you know, again, this for anybody under, you know, I don't fucking know. I'm just guessing. But probably for anybody under the age of, you know, 40 maybe a little older. It's like, well, yeah, Jaffe, that's no fucking big deal. But back then, uh, that was revolutionary. So we're high as a goddamn kite coming home from the airport going, what can we do with these guys? We got to make 3D games. And we were stuck in traffic at LAX, uh, which is just horrific. Um, it's always still horrific to this day. It was tr- horrific back then. And that's when the idea came to me. Obviously, I was just joking, but I was like, oh, I'd love to have guns and a flamethrower and a rocket launcher to blow all this traffic away. And all of us were like, hey, that would be a really cool that could be a game. game. And so it's really neat because I found this the other day and I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to give it away to YouTube members or if I'm going to make a, maybe I'm going to publish like a self-publish a book. But I found all these old notes going from God of War to Twisted Metal Black to the very first Twisted Metal. I found the very first piece of paper where uh, I wrote anything about Twisted Metal ever. And it was for a marketing meeting I went into and I had about seven ideas written on it. And one of them, it's it's buried in this stack of papers right here. I want to see if I can find it. But one of them said, um, in fact, I'm just going to tell it to you. Hang on. That's fine. Sounds good. I want to tell you what it says because I have it. I just got to fucking find it. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm all, it's been so weird to go back through all this. There's like notes of what I was calling Greek mythology game, which became God of God War. Of War. And, you know, and all these things that are like, oh, that's where that came from. I Did forgot you just I, figure you know, that role lost? No, I, I just, I, I just, I, I, I've known in my closets, I've had these massive binders of notes and I've just, you know, I've never really, whatever, I've gone through them every now and then, but I've never really paid much attention to them. So I knew that there would probably be some really cool stuff in there, but I didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't searching and I wasn't really aware uh, of what I might find. Um, And I can't find this one right now. So, but what I'll tell you what I'll tell you, it said, though, it was something like there was like a bunch of ideas, There's like six, seven ideas. Yeah. And one of them was said something like Mad Max in a city. And then it was talking about the number of cars and all that. So that is the first time um, I ever wrote anything about Twisted Metal down. And I went into this marketing meeting with that piece of paper and I read and that was the top idea. And it got around to me in the marketing. And this is these days getting a green light from any company, certainly one as big as Sony with the budget they spend is a, a, a Herculean effort um, with lots of people who have to be convinced. But back then it was sort of, you know, my boss was down. And then ultimately it was Peter Dilly, the head of marketing at the time at Sony ImageSoft. He's like, all right, Jaffe, what do you got? What do you want to make? I'm like, ah, it's this thing. It's like car combat. It's called Battle Cars. And it's like 3D City. It's like Doom with cars and Mad Max. He's like, cool, let's make that. Like, <laughs> that's how easy it was. The whole thing cost 850K um, to make, which is absurd because it sold over a million copies at, you know, 
49.99 so you do the math cuz a cuz it's not my job to do the math and b I suck at math but it was a lot of money made that's a lot fair. of fucking money that's fair you got a math teacher um, you're talking to so. yeah the, the, okay there you go okay so 50 times uh, let's say a million uh, let's just say a million yeah oh, so 50 million. you're talking 50 million yeah uh, off of an $850,000 budget you know i mean it is a little more when you throw in you know marketing and those sort percentages of marketing and percentages that we gave to the had to go to the retailers but it was a shit ton of money and um and it was like holy cow um but it, it it was that easy to get a green light back then and i'm grateful i did because yeah that became uh you know by a lot of work on the part of us and certainly especially on the part of single track and kellen hatch scott campbell michael jackson all those guys randy zorko who were with the company uh different versions of the company up until the last time we did a twisted metal in 2012 uh we ended up making something that you know ended up pleasing a lot of people but uh, it was, we were making that shit up as we went. We had no idea what we were doing. The, the, the mainstay of that game is the multiplayer split screen. Um, and we didn't even have that in. We didn't even think about it. And a programmer, I forget who it was, came in one weekend. Might've been a guy named Jay Barnson, but he came in one weekend and said, oh, I thought about maybe doing split screen. You guys want to try it? We're like, yeah. And it was so fucking fun. And the game was totally moving to market, prepped to ship with no multiplayer which ended up being the bread and butter of that entire series. But it wasn't until mid alpha that a programmer was just like, oh, I came in over the weekend. I put in multiplayer and it suddenly was brilliant. So, I mean, it's crazy how that shit worked. Yeah. I guess um, when, when the first title released and obviously you've, you've, we've just gone $50 million and all those, uh, all those sorts of things. But when did you realize that there was still, I guess you and the team realized that there was still more to be said for the, for the franchise. Cause obviously there was more titles on the PS1. And as you said, it's well, it continued on until yeah. twisted metal in 2012. Um, yeah. I mean, it really, you know, we thought it was a failure. We had gone to a, uh, uh, a focus test that marketing had done and they did it for Warhawk and they did it for twisted metal. Both were made by the same studio, my design partner at Sony was Mike Yam. He took Warhawk. I took Twisted Metal. We both didn't care which one we did. And our boss was like, okay, well, let's flip a coin. Um, and because one was going to get one, one was going to get the other. And I, and I won the coin toss. I said, okay, I'll take Twisted Metal. Or maybe Mike said he'd take Warhawk. I don't remember. But that's how I ended up with Twisted Metal. And he ended up with, with Warhawk. Toss. It was a coin toss. And... Um, uh, and so we went to the play test and the, the, the gamers were a bunch of like hardcore street fighter fans that were recruited from an arcade, I think in Westwood, I think they were certainly street fighter, hardcore guys. I don't, I could be wrong. They got, they got them somewhere else, but I want to say it was from a, a, a Westwood arcade um, by UCLA. And certainly they came in a game that they weren't necessarily the most proficient in or experienced with, I suppose. Right, right. And, 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 but these guys, you know, they loved Warhawk, but they played Twist Metal and thought it was utter shit. And I remember that night I was sitting in the lobby of the building where we did the focus test and I called my uh, wife or my girlfriend at the time who became my wife. And I said, uh, I need to find a different career. They hated it. I suck at this. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and she's like, well, I mean, if that's the case, that's the case, but you know, so let's see what happens. I'm like, All right. So, but you know, the game came out and immediately it was met with praise and love and fans. And, uh, it ended up getting like EGM's game of the year, which I think was nice. It certainly was undeserved because if you look at what it was competing against, it was, you know, literally Yoshi's Island, one of the best platformers, if not the best platformer ever made and Chrono Trigger, one of the, if not the best RPGs ever made. So I'm sorry, but I do not think Twisted Metal deserves game of the year compared to those two games. It definitely but, had some stiff competition, that's for sure. 
Yeah, but that said, though, it was nice to it was nice to be recognized. It was nice to know because we we were anticipating, uh, you know, Sony had signed a deal with Single Track, which were the developers in Utah, and we knew we were going to do something else. And we were just assuming that this game was going to flop, and we had already been committed to do Twisted Metal 2 because Kelly Flock, who sadly just just passed a couple of months ago, brilliant guy, ran that division, um, was like, I want to do a sequel. And we're like, okay. And then the game, we were like, okay. Then we realized the game was going to tank. And we're like, okay, I guess we're on the hook for the sequel, but let's change it. Let's make it. One of the reasons people don't like it is it's too hard to control. There's too many buttons. The things are too fast. So we went for about a month when the cars were going to change into insects because we were what? like, okay, we can have, we have, we can have the insects climb up the walls. We can have them move slower. And then we went for a while where they were going to be hover cars. And I actually have concept art that was done uh, of twisted metal, in hover cars because I was like, that's going to be easier to control. And then the game hits and everybody loves it. And we're like, Oh, okay. I guess it works. If it's not broke, let's not fix it. Let's just make it better. And so that's when we knew we had a sequel. And then I was done after that, frankly, but three and four got made by a different group, a very short amount of time. Those guys were fucking heroes for the company. I know a lot of gamers look back at twisted three and four and they're not as fond of it, but they, you have to understand these guys made the those games in like seven months and they'd never made a game like it before. And, and those still sold brilliantly. But by the time four was done um, and I was done with some other things I was doing at Sony, I'd gone into Sony to do internal development and I didn't realize there was an important reason there are directors and producers. The, it's very rare, if not impossible, especially this day and age for them to be the same person because there's a huge conflict of interest. So I, yeah. I spent about two years failing every single day and being incredibly depressed and sad. Uh, about the fact that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So afterwards, we started Sony Santa Monica, and I said, you know what? I need a hit. I need a, I need, I need a win. Let's make, let's, 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 let's revitalize Twisted Metal. Let's give it a new fresh coat of paint. Let's bring the original band back together, which was Scott Campbell and Kellen and all those guys uh, that we, that they started a company called Incognito Entertainment, which became Incog Entertainment for legal reasons. And that's how we did Twisted Black. So um, it, it just, you know, we thought we were done after two, then we thought we were done after Black. And then finally, Scott and I started a company together called Eat, Sleep, Play. And we said, um, let's make a Twisted Metal that's sort of networked out the box. And that's what yeah. we did. And they're making, they're, they're talking about a TV series right now. They've, they've got some yes, big names lined up. Yeah, they got some really big names behind the scenes. The guys who wrote Deadpool and produced Zombieland and stuff. They've pitched me kind of the concept of what it is. It may actually go forward. You never know with the stuff. Um, but so, you know, there may be more Twisted Metal down the road or it may just become sort of a, a footnote of video game history. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But that's that the last, you know, official breath that Sweet Tooth took. The last time we saw him, he was he had been buried alive in a grave on the side of a uh, of a very mysterious highway, and that's 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 where he is to this day. We'll see what happens. Yeah, who knows? Um, you're you're quite were you taken by what you've been presented? Obviously, you can't speak too much about these pitches and whatnot regarding the the series. But um, um have you know, been quite it's, taken it's, by what you've seen uh, or heard so far. It, it's an impossible question because the mediums are so different, and and and. You know, there are big successes. Certainly you can point to Marvel, whether you're talking about the MCU movies or you're talking about, you know, TV with Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision and the upcoming Loki looks good, but certainly those two were great. Where you go, it is possible to be incredibly uh, 
not one to one, but incredibly lined up with the with the with the original source material, and still make a piece of big stream, a mainstream big entertainment. Yep. Um, but there's also a school of thought that says, you know, you need to take this stuff and you need to sort of you know bend it towards uh, the medium in which you're working. And comics, as much as a lot of people, comics are for kids, and I love comics. I still read them to this day. But fundamentally, whether you think they're for, you know, little boys and little girls at eight to 10 years old, or you think, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a fucking art form. It's really what's in the panels that matter. But regardless, they are mostly built on the bare DNA foundations of storytelling. So it makes sense that that's going to track and translate into linear narrative. I think with video games, um, what people are really buying besides the marketing opportunity and the name brand recognition is sort of the intellectual property, the world building. But I don't think anybody, as much as I think it would be cool to do a one-to-one movie of Sweet Tooth and Twisted Metal and all that, I understand that when they come to the table, they're like, well, Jaffe, if we simply made this verbatim, what would it be? Every, every episode is a different driver, and then they die at the end, and it's not till the end of the season that you learn who won. It's yeah, like, I guess that could work structurally, but people are going to want a protagonist they can root for. They're going to want a, a, a series of plots that move through the entire season, let alone the entire series. And so I certainly these guys are making changes in order to make it work for TV. How far those changes go and how comfortable I am with them, I think depends on two things. It depends on A, how egregious the changes are. Um, and that's really case by case and B, if the changes work for the benefit of the overall product, then I really don't care if, if they, if they somehow figure out a way to make sweet tooth, um, drive a Ferrari and he's actually not a clown, but he's a guy who's dressed up like, you know, the mask of Zorro and that works as long as it works. I don't give a fuck. Um, but I, I, I think, I think ultimately though, you know, because you are taking on a property that you know, it's not, it's not the world's biggest property, but it's a big enough property that it's got, you know, a very rabid fan base. If you care about keeping that fan base happy and they may say, we don't, we'd like to, but that's not our number one priority. Uh, you know, we're aiming at a much bigger audience than just the remaining, I'm just guessing like 500,000 people who still give a fuck about Twisted Metal. Um, then, then I think they have to just sort of follow their own muse. So I guess my answer to your question is very long answer is, is, I trust these guys. I like their pedigree. I like what they've made. Um, they've pitched me the overall idea. It's certainly not one-to-one twisted metal, but it is still twisted metal. It's their take on it. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to make TV. I'm not looking to do their job. I don't, I, 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 I'm not trying to tell them how to do their job. So uh, I'm comfortable that they hired, Sony hired some really good people to do it. And hopefully they'll be able to make something that people love regardless of how close it is to the final product. But hopefully it'll be close enough to, to please fans. But it's too early to say. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I mean, as you said, there's a lot of balls up in the air still and who knows how they'll all fall. So we'll see what happens when it happens. Twisted Metal 2012, one of the things that's, I guess, always uh, interested me was some of the discussion before that uh, reveal at E3. So uh, I think you'd been reached out to, um, I can't remember who who it was or what outlet had reached out to you asking about the game. And you said that... Lots of people, lots of people. it, It wasn't going to be in attendance. And then, of course, there was the the famous kind of appearance uh, in the truck appearing on the stage. Right. What, uh, so obviously you knew what the plan was at that particular point. The, the, the thought around the, I guess what, you know, is, is a lie to the media, I suppose, was that, uh, sure. was that 
for the sake of theatre? Was it kind of a PR line that needed to be trotted out because we, you know, just deny, deny, no. deny? What was? I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm I'm a me and Sony. When I was working for Sony, we worked for the fans. We worked for the customer. I don't work for the media. Yeah, I no, I, I, I don't I I don't owe the media a, an accurate answer. I'm not under oath. My job my job was to give was to delight and surprise people and make the best announcement we could that would a get the most press and b make the fans the happiest. And so, what do I care if I had to make you know you know to lie? Uh, to you know, Kotaku or Joystick or whoever it was at the time, uh, if ultimately the people I serve, which is the customer, which is the fans, if they got that nice surprise at E3 and, and they had a moment and they remembered that we're making a new Twisted Metal. Uh, I, I always found, not, not your question, but I always found some of the, uh, I think I'm using the word right, the in, 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 is it incredulousness. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I found it kind of funny. Like there's this there's this assumption that it is my job to be truthful to someone just because they ask me a question. It's like in my real life as a human being, of course, I'm honest. I don't lie in my real life. But if I'm doing a job, um, just because you ask me something, you're not owed an answer uh, or or an accurate well, answer. So I, I, I always thought that was an amusing thing. I'm like, I don't work for you, Kotaku. I work for the fans. And to be my fair, job as, is to as a consumer... those guys as a consumer in that particular scenario, just, you know, watching on as it all happened and knowing what had already been said beforehand, I thought the theater of it was fantastic. Now, I don't know if that's something that necessarily occurred to you after you'd already denied at that particular point and you've gone, oh, no, man, I didn't, really I didn't, I did but no, I denied it because I knew it was going to be good theater. Now, the fact that the lie actually folded into the story itself and even helped make it better theater, that was fun. But ultimately the, the lie came out of a place of going, I don't want you and marketing doesn't want you to know about this. And we yeah. were very strict. I mean, we were, there were people that were talking about it and they weren't even talking about it in any massive way, but there were a couple of leaks and those guys, they were kind of uh, contractors that were helping us, you know, make the movies and stuff for it. And some of those guys got fired. Cause it's like, look, man, we're not joking around. We don't want anyone to know about this, even to the point that, when it was the time of the day, they were like, Jaffe, we need you to kind of sneak out of the Marriott. We don't want yeah. anyone to see you. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And I went down to the Marriott to the lobby and I got, I went to the little cafe before I got in my cab or my car and I got a Diet Coke and a bagel and I went to the, to the shrine where we did it. And lo and behold, my wife called me at the time, you know, 20 minutes later and said, oh, somebody spotted you at the Marriott. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, a friend of mine was online and saw that someone had a David Jaffe sighting uh, at the Marriott. And now they're speculating that you're going to reveal Twisted Metal. And I was like, oh, fuck. You know, thank <laughs> God it didn't blow up. But I'm like, that was the craziest thing. I'm like, you're somebody because somebody took a picture of me buying the Diet Coke and buying the bagel uh, and tweeted it or put it on. Uh, it wasn't NeoGAF at the time. It was one of the message boards that you know, was a precursor to NeoGAF yeah. and literally put that out. Wasn't tweeting it. They put that out on the message board. And I was like, Oh my God, it's like somebody stalking me with a fucking hey, photo. You can't go a, anywhere you know, Telephoto. Well, now I can, but back then for that day, I mean, people always ask me, you know, it's like, Oh, we're, you know, my kids even asked me, it's like, were you famous? And I'm like, yeah, there were very specific places I could go where I got to have the fame fantasy for a couple of years. You know, that was a GameStop. Uh, that was at E3, uh, that was at Comic-Con. But the minute I stepped outside, I was just like, 
you know, anybody, anybody else. else in terms of what people knew. So, uh, but in those cases, because it was E3 launch day, Sony press conference, Marriott, where all the E3 and the press were, um, that was a place where I would have gotten noticed. And I guess, lo and behold, and I did. did. I should have listened to marketing. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's one of those crazy things. And I guess it's still, you know, we've spoken about the theater a few times, probably just adds to the theater of the whole thing and maybe fortunate that it didn't blow up completely. So, Yes, that's right. Um, so then the other half, or the other the other big IP we've, uh, that you've been a part of is, of course, God of War. And that's that's Correct. one that's really continued and persisted even in your absence in the years since. But uh, yes. you, you mentioned before you, you found some of the old paperwork. And what did you say it was called? Just Greek, Greek mythology? What, yeah. what did you call it? Sorry. I think uh, that I think I do have right in front of me. Let me, uh, yeah. Th- so this one is called, um, this is called Greek myths play mechanics. And it's basically a bunch of little notes and each note is put in a box. So there must be about one, two, three, there's about 25 boxes on this page of just ideas of things that you can do uh, in a Greek mythological setting. So I have one where like you have, um, it looks like it says, um, shoot, uh, uh, where is it? It's uh, uh, you're 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 basically using Cupid's arrows, um, stealthily, so you can make people fall in love with. Even though I think Cupid is Roman, um, yeah. not Greek, but you know you can make people fall in love, and they'll they'll get distracted, and you can sneak by them. I mean, stuff that never had a home in the game at all. But ultimately, you know, use Medusa's scare stare, and then rush in to finish the job. So you would like use her head to slow down the enemy, and then go in to attack them. It's just, you know, just pages and pages and pages of ideas of what this game could be. And there was times that it was going to be a first person melee game. Um, there was times it was going to be an open world game. Um, this was just that marinating in um, the concept of, I knew I wanted to do a Harryhausen inspired Greek myth game. And I knew I wanted to do something that felt like going on a big adventure, but everything else was up in the air. So I had months where I was just dumping my brain, reading Greek mythology, watching documentaries on Greek mythology and things. And ultimately it became God of War. But these are the, the initial notes uh, of, of what that would ultimately become. Well, I think you've mentioned elsewhere and I think others have discussed it as well. Is that, like even the idea of Kratos and who he was and how he looked even was something that was really evolving quite rapidly at various different points as well and changed significantly. Uh, I think was the, because there were some other external projects and things that were going on, other pieces of media that had characters that kind of looked similar so kratos is well that's a bit. well no yes but the main the main thing is i mean we spent well over a year with a wonderful artist named terry smith um a freelance guy but he came down like once a week or for the whole week to work with us uh we had amazing concept artists the lead concept artist charlie Wynn, who actually went on to found or co-found the marvel cinematic universe visual department so he designed what thor would look like in the movies i mean iron man that's all charlie uh you know we spent over a year trying to find this guy all i knew at the very beginning was i knew he was going to be brutal and violent and allow you to feel like an animal and i knew that wolverine and the hulk um and russell crowe yeah and russell crowe in the movie romper stomper and ed norton in the movie american history x that kind of very scary animalistic sense of rage personified in a human form uh that was the north star and then we spent well over a year trying to figure out what that looked like and how we could make that not only look good but make it a marketable character 
that our demographic could asp- not aspire to be as awful as Kratos, but they wanted to have that power fantasy with. Yeah, understood. and it took a yeah, it took a very long time. Um, and the thing with the other games, no, that was we were about to announce to the press. I want. I, I don't think I'm making it dramatic when I say we were days away. I think it was like one or two days away, and we had printed out these uh, cards on like heavy cardstock, and on one side it had you know Kratos in a really dramatic you know, almost like a Panther ready to pounce pose. And on the back, it was text and screenshots and stuff. And we were going to hand these out to the media after I gave them the song and dance about what God of War was. It was their yeah. first time they would ever experience it. And Kratos looked like Kratos, but instead of, and he had the white skin, but it was uh, a blue mark down his chest and across his face. And somewhere in the middle of like, it was like in a, it was a crunch night. It must've been around nine o'clock that night. Um, it was either like Max Ankar, who is still there doing, he runs all the effects. He just did the effects on the last God of War. Brilliant guy. Might've been Max, may have been Ken Feldman. One of these guys was like, this guy looks like the barbarian in Diablo two. And I'm like, oh, I haven't played Diablo two. And they're like, well, we'll look at this. And I'm like, oh shit. And he didn't look exactly like him, but he looked enough like him that I was like, I need to show this to higher ups and go, are we good? And they said, yeah, he doesn't look exactly like him, but if you can change the color of the stripe, that'll make us feel a lot better. And so we went from, uh, uh, you know, blue and white to red, which is crazy that we didn't go to red to begin with. I love red. It's an aggressive color. It's a power color. Um, It totally fits the character better. Why I thought blue worked, don't fucking ask me. I don't know. Um, maybe I was resistant because pure red and white is the, are the colors of the Alabama Crimson Tide who can go fuck themselves. Oh, right, um, okay. but other, other than that, I can't tell you why we would have, um, gone with that, with, with blue to begin with. But that said that, that is what I think you're referring to when you're saying other images in the media kind of reared their heads and sort of motivated us to make some adjustments. Yeah. It's certainly evolution in the character and the design and the look over time. So yeah, that's exactly as you explained there. Did you, did you have any Street Fighter people come along at any point for any testing that you had to just clearly ignore no, at this point since their, their did, feedback I, was clearly I, useless? I, I well, no, I did even better. I uh, ended up inadvertently hiring professional, professional. Well, almost I guess back in the day, you know, a professional fighting game person was an oxymoron. Um, but now you can actually be a you know a pro fighter in game. video game space. But we had the guys. So you know we had a wonderful animator, a guy named Michael Kiley, um, who was our first lead animator. The thing was though, he had never done games. I want to say he had even worked on uh, the first uh, the Fellowship of the Ring with Peter Jackson, and um, he came in and he was animating just this beautiful stuff, but. Game animation obviously is very different than than linear media animation because you've got to create things in loops and things have to connect back at the start and they've got a branch depending on the player and all there's a million other ways to think about it. And so the thing with Michael was great as a as a creative, but he didn't work out as our main animator. And so we were going ape shit. I was playing all these games going, this is good animation, reach out to that guy, reach out to that guy. Finally, we found Corey Barlog, Eric Williams, Derek Daniels, uh, Mehdi Youssef. And these guys, all of these guys, I've worked on all the God of Wars. They're still working on the God of Wars. Um, But these guys were working on, um, like, I think they did a game with a local company that was Backyard Wrestling. Uh, They will tell you to this day that was not, you know, it wasn't a great game. They didn't have a big budget, not a lot of time. But these guys were great animators. 
um, and great fighting designers. Eric and Derek are fighting designers. Corey is obviously an animator. Medi's an animator. But these guys um, knew Street Fighter. They knew Tekken. They were hardcore fighting aficionados. They competed in tournaments. And so, you know, I was telling, uh, when I talked to Colin Moriarty today on, on our show, uh, we were talking about it and I said, you know, when I originally started God of War, you know, we never were looking to go toe to toe with Dante. I was like, my goal is bloody, br violent, brutal, and it makes you feel powerful. But in terms of the depth of the combat, I was more than, I was, I was aiming for, you know, Ocarina of Time, Zelda level of, yeah. of depth, or I was aiming even lower on certain days for like, you know, Medieval 2 level of combat depth. And suddenly Corey comes in with Medi and uh, Eric and Derek, and they're like, well, we can do all that. Um, but between them and a guy named Richard Fogey, who's actually now, I think, the lead designer, lead creative over at Undead Labs doing the State of K uh, uh, series for Microsoft, um, he and I were the ones who kind of figured out the... Uh, looking at a game called Hulk Ultimate Destruction, where we oh, yeah. got the idea for the, the context-sensitive moves. But all of those guys together got together and were like, Jaffe, we can make this a lot cooler than Ocarina of Time. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? And, and really, my biggest contribution to the fighting was two things, which was, one was the emotional part of it. This is how I want it to feel, how I want the player to feel. And the other was, I don't want it to be, you know hardcore i want it to be accessible so a lot of times people are like you can cancel out of almost any move in that game that's so interesting i'm like i didn't even know at the time what cancel out meant i just was able to go to eric and Corey and derek and say this sucks i'm starting to swing at the heartbeat to the right and there's a guy i changed my mind midstream i want to hit to the left and they're like well yeah but the punishment is you've committed to that attack you have to finish it i don't want to finish it i want to hit the guy to the left i'm like okay we'll put it in and they put it in. I'm like, yay, this is great. And it you worked. Know? And so, well, it worked. But obviously, you know, we still to this day, the, the DMC audience and the, the Bayonetta audience and all that, they're like, dude, your, your fighting system is nowhere near as deep. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't designed to be. Trust me, Corey and Eric and Derek and Medi and those guys, they can, make, they, they can make the deepest goddamn fighting system on the planet if they wanted to. But that really wasn't what God of War was trying to be. And it yeah, just kind of presents like You had a vision. Is, but... And yeah you and the team work to execute that. And I, I mean, as a, as someone who, you know, fell in love with the original God of War all those years ago, I, I loved the fact that I could just pivot at any given point and that I've realized, oh, I've made a mistake. And it's similar to yourself. I didn't understand the idea of, you know, canceling out or any of that sort of thing. But the fact that I could make an instant decision and just change direction entirely at any given moment was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, I, I did too. Cause that's, you know, I just want, and it wasn't, it wasn't innovative on my part. It was like, that's just what I want to do. Can you make the game, can you make the game do what I want to do? Okay, sure. Jaffe. I mean, that's, that's how deep it went. So did you have any doubts about how the final product was going to shape up similar to what you did with twisted metal at stages there? Or was, was there a clear vision in mind that this, this thing is, no, no, and no. I guess combined with feedback that you might've received from others? I mean, we, 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 you know, we play tested the crap out of it, not focus tested, but we play tested the crap out of it. And that is why God of War works as well as it does. I, I was desperate to be successful and I, I, I was successful with the team, uh, in large part because we really took seriously, um, and same thing applied to all the twisted games. We took seriously this idea of, you know, let us serve you the customer. 
And so we would play test ad nauseum. And then I would take the VHS tapes at the time because it was like six people in a room and we would be downstairs watching on closed circuit TV, uh, them play. And there would be a little square in the corner of the screen of their faces. Yep. And I would watch them and I would talk to them afterwards. I would read their notes, read their scores. But then I would also take the tapes home over the weekend and I would just make tons. I mean, you know, hundreds books, of books pages of notes. Of, of, of notes and then come back in Monday and say, okay, I've spent the whole weekend watching these tapes. Um, here are the 80 things we have to address this week before we do the next play test because everyone's getting stuck here. And it, it was everything from big things to like the puzzle doesn't make any sense to just beautiful iterative improvements. Like, you know, people are getting lost in Athens, right? And it's like, well, it's not hurting the game, but you know what we could do? But we Let's could take make that better. Well, let's, yeah, let's take that save point that is about four screens over and let's actually put it uh, so the player will always see it when he turns the corner. And he'll use that save point as a North Star. And suddenly the minute all we had to do was move a save point, suddenly that section of Athens became free and easy and clear and the scores went up simply by taking, you right. know, going into Maya and moving the 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 xyz coordinates of where the save point was and that's the kind of stuff that you know iteration uh if 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 you are able to be fortunate enough to be the beneficiary of iteration in, in a company that pays for it and values it uh that really is the only way to get to a level of a game that you know it still may not be the best game in the world but it's going to be insanely playable and so uh I, what, so what I knew was we had a game that was getting really good scores by the players. But what I didn't know was were there enough people that were going to vibe with it? And so I would vacillate. I had, I, I was telling the story to somebody the other day. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I was sitting, I was working really late one night with Todd Pappy, who ended up directing Ascension and God of War Ascension. And now he's doing the Chris Roberts uh, space game. Um, we were at like two in the morning, me and the design producer, Whitney Wade. And I think Whitney had gone out to smoke and Todd had gone to the bathroom. And I was just kind of sitting there by myself looking at the game. And up on the wall uh, was a massive uh, framed picture of Kratos. Like it was 20 yards long. I mean, it was huge. Yeah, and it, it was um, it was from E3. And we had taken it from E3 and brought it to the studio and hung it way up high on the wall. As you would. And I... Yeah, exactly. And I remember looking at it and in that moment, again, this was like two in the morning in that moment, I had this wonderful, delightful delusion of grandeur that lasted for about 20 seconds where I said, you know, I think we've got something. I was like, this, this could be, I, I swear I said this to my head. I said, this could be like the next star Wars. That's what I said in my head. Right. So in the same day though, cause that was two in the morning, I, I, I probably went home, hung out with the family, took a shower, came back to work. That same day, we went over to Santa Monica Place, which was the mall at the time, and I went to the GameStop, and there were dummy boxes of games at the time. So GameStop would have the games they were selling, and then they would have cardboard boxes that looked like oh, yeah, final boxes, but they were cardboard, yeah. And it was like, hey, these are the games that are coming in the next four to eight months. You know, just to get you excited, maybe you pre-order, and God of War was there. And then, again, this was the same 24-hour period that I looked at the box that was God of War, and it was surrounded by other boxes of you know companies like capcom and and, and rockstar and, and, and square what, enix, I don't know, it was rockstar. yeah yeah it probably wasn't rockstar but it was like yeah certainly capcom square enix things like that and i was just like oh my god 
no one is going to buy this. It's like this does not fit in with these other games. It doesn't have a place on the shelf. It feels it sticks out like a sore thumb. No one is going to want some dude running around in a skirt fighting monsters from Greek mythology. You have totally fucked your career. So both of those feelings, delusions of grandeur and absolutely you're a failure, Jaffe, you know, you got to find something else to do with your life, were occurring frequently within 24-hour periods. So, you know, you get so close to something um, that all you can really do is love it and shower it with love and shower it with nurturing and shower it with best of intentions and, and, and with experience and surround it with a great team that will call you on your bullshit and, 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 and put it in front of new people all the time. And that's the best chance you got. But no, I had no idea, uh, because it, I, I, ultimately I had no idea. I remember getting a text the day the game came out and this was early. This was like a Nokia flip phone text. This was yeah, before no, smartphone. Yeah, and, and it was a, a buddy of mine, Adam Worth, who uh, went to do Microsoft. He made the game Adrift. Um, he said, uh, he's like, oh, I'm at the GameStop, and there's a line out the door for your game. And I was like, shut the fuck up. And he's like, dude, I'm serious. And I want to say he sent me a picture or he called me. And I'm like, you're shitting me. There's a, there's a line out the door to buy God of War. He says, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, I did not expect that. And so you really had no idea until the day it no, was on the shelf. No. And, and PR, unlike with like Twisted Metal Black, I remember with PR, I was able to get some early reviews. So I knew before it hit, I had seen the Game Informer review. I had seen a number of reviews. God of War, we had no idea. And I remember going home that night and just looking at the um, the reviews roll in, like the nine and a halfs and the tens and... And I was just like, are you shitting me? Like, I, I just didn't know what we had, good or bad. And so it was a, it was a wonderful surprise. Uh, but no, I had no clue. That's really fascinating. Um, especially yeah. like to even, I guess, the day of not really know even then. Like the, the product, no, the game's it, stamped, it's on discs, it's been manufacturing for, you know, what, a few weeks at least before, before that date. And you yeah. still really had no idea until... Yeah, I mean, how would you, how would, how would you, how would you know? How would you know? Right. I mean, it's a, it's not like now where you have, I mean, people did love the demo. I knew that, but the demo was, you know, packed into EGM, if I remember correctly, or GameStop or, so it wasn't like it went out to massive numbers of people and there wasn't the internet too. So, I mean, it, or, or there was, but it wasn't like it was today. It wasn't like I could go into Twitter and go into the search box and type God of War and start seeing people's reactions. Yeah. You know, you you had to find somebody who had gotten it from GameStop or EGM and then liked it enough to actually put a post about it on whatever the forum was at the time, Next Gen or whatever, um, and then hope enough other people had Piggy played it to, to comment on it. And that was just a rare thing. And so there really was, there were no tea leaves to read for the most part. And so it was like flying blind with a plane into an airport. You're just like, I hope I'm not upside down right now. Uh, I hope I'm actually right side up and I'm heading out. for the ground and not for a mountain. So luckily we, we, we did pretty good. Well, I mean, I guess even in the more modern context, we, we a lot of people think about Corey when uh, God of War 2018 came out. And I mean, there was, there's the video of him the moment the embargo lift and reading through the reviews and that sort of thing. I'd imagine what we're just discussing here is a similar sort of thing where I guess all these well, no, emotions because, probably hit you at once. Co Corey's a baby. Um, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. He's like a crybaby. If he ever comes me, on the no, show, I'll would... make sure not to tell him that. Yeah. I, I was very manly about it. I was like, good, good. Let's let let's me go get woman. And yes, uh, no, it was, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think I was emotional so much as I, I, I was emotional. I wasn't, 
I was relieved. And I don't know what Corey's emotion was there. We know what it looked like on the outside, which was he was crying. But that could have been relief. It could have been yeah, any happy tears. Things, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, for me, um, you know, it was just, oh, thank God. You know, uh, I, I don't anymore, but I used to operate from a, a place of anxiety um, and fear in a lot of ways. And I just wanted to know I still had a career that I could pay for my townhouse and I could take care of my new kids that I had just had that I could take care of my family. And it was just like, OK, I'm not going to get fired. Massive. Right? That, that, it, it, yeah, it was a relief. That was my, and, and then. But but, you know, even after that, though. Uh, like I've said to other people, all the games I've made since they certainly have their fans and some have more fans than others. And some got good reviews. Some got terrible reviews, but I've never come close to flying that close to the sun ever again. And I probably, at least in games, I might, but I doubt it. Um, but ultimately though, um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't operate anymore from that place of desperate anxiety, which to be perfectly fair is probably a good place to operate from when you're making creative product, because it probably helped push me. Um, but, but, you know, once I was done being pushed and I knew I wasn't going to fall off the edge of the earth, um, you know, I was left with different motivations, which have served me, but I do think the games haven't been as good because, you know, there's a, there, there's a, and, and I've loved every game just as much, every game I've ever made. I've loved just as much as I loved God of War and Twisted Metal Black and two and one and all that, but some have hit and some have not. And, 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 you know, they're all your children. Um, you love them dearly. You put your heart and soul into all of them. But th there's there's kind of a, uh, not even kind of, there is a famous saying that everybody has one good novel in them. And I, I, think, I, I think I had two great novels in me. One was God of War, one was Twisted Metal. And, 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 and obviously it's not just me. I mean, I had teams on all the games, all their iterations, all the sequels that brought their own brilliance and their own novels and their own personal passions and drive uh, to yeah. the table. But if we're, since you're talking just to me, uh, my experience is that those, at least in terms of that type of entertainment product, um, I, I, I don't, I, I still, you know, I just signed a deal with a group called movie games. I still plan on contributing uh, to yeah, the industry right about that shortly. Yeah, in, in certain ways, but if, if I never make another big game as a director again, um, it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm more than happy with that. I, I, a lot of people, yeah, why, who, yeah, you know, of course. How could you not you know, be again? Uh, like you've, you've made well, that yeah, one I mean, great novel that you just discussed before. I made one great novel and one novel that is beloved by a lot of people that's more pulpy and is, is a little bit more silly and stupid, but still very much beloved, uh, which is Twisted Metal. And so I'm just kind of like, you know, um, a lot of people still come at me and they're like, you're, you're, you know, they think I'm angry, which I'm not, I'm a very happy, calm guy, but they're like, you're salty because the new God of war is better than your God of war, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, they're so different I, though. I, well, not only that, but it's just like, do you know what I did motherfucker? It's like, I got to lay these bricks. I got to be one of the key guys laying foundational bricks in the history of video games. I'm not saying we made street fighter. I'm not saying we made, um, Space Invaders or Doom, but yeah. we made some pretty big influential titles that to this day still have ripple effects uh, on games that get made. So, and then wouldn't good. be a God of War 2018 if it weren't for what you created. Yeah, I mean, I'm very happy with with my contributions, but I think a lot of it's just at least in America, it's very capitalistic, it's very dog eat dog, it's very much about 
you know, if, if you don't want that kind of continued uh, success that the media spoon feeds to you and tells you that that's what you're supposed to covet, there must be something wrong with you. Um, you don't really have a lot of room in this culture to fail uh, or to value failure, or you don't have a lot of room in this culture to change. Um, I mean, you do, I do it anyway. I don't give a fuck, but I'm saying that in terms of how people perceive you, yeah. uh, is, is, is very interesting. It's very telling. It's like, wow, you're really going to come at me because I made two massively successful, influential franchises and you've done nothing, but just because I haven't, my last game wasn't a hit. You, you, you want to come after me? Okay. But I guarantee you, uh, you're going to lose that argument because you're a fucking moron because are you yeah. kidding? Who wouldn't be thrilled with what I got to do? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't blame you in the, the reaction whatsoever. What does interest me, and you obviously referred to kind of flying close to the sun with uh, with God of War, is that your your role diminished with uh, with you know God of War 2 and, until eventually you got to a point where you weren't working on the franchise anymore. What was kind of Correct. the motivation behind that? Because uh, so, I assume, I don't uh, know how soon the discussion had already begun about a God of War 2 at this point, but I'd imagine it didn't take very long. No, it was soon. It it was, you know, I mean, I knew because it really had wreaked havoc on my marriage. I had had my first kid during production of God of War. My second kid was born um, a few months after the first God of War uh, shipped. Um, so I knew that, you know, at least until they again. were much, much older, I couldn't and I wouldn't. I didn't want to. I loved having kids. I love being a dad now. And I wanted to spend time with them and I wanted to be home more often. And, you know, God of War was a, a wonderful experience, but it was really hard and really painful and really, uh, it took a lot and it took a toll on my family life as well and my health. And so I remember being with my wife at the time, we were at E3 2004, I think, which was when God of War was first revealed and playable. And I remember before we left, uh, I stood outside the Sony booth and I just looked at it and took it all in. And she's like, well, what are you doing? And I said, you know, I don't think, I don't think I'm ever going to, have something at this scope again, at this size again, at this influence again. And I just want to really be present for it. I want to, I want to really feel it and then sort of say my goodbyes to it. And, and, and to this day, I mean, I remember so much about that moment because I really allowed myself to be present for it. And after that, it was like, yeah, you know, I knew God of War two was coming down the line. Um, maybe I had toyed with it, but I, I was ready to be done. I was like, I want to go back and work with the guys in, uh, in Utah because it's external development and I know those guys and that means I can, yeah, I'm going to work really hard, but you know, they're in Utah, which means unless I'm out there, which I was out there every maybe three to five weeks, um, I'd go home at six, seven o'clock at night. I'd have yeah, my right. weekends free. Um, and that's what I was looking for at the time. So that was, that was really the drive. And I actually flew out to Utah with Whitney Wade, who is the, the de, uh, design producer, and we were looking for a director for God of War II. And the guy I wanted at first was a guy who you may know, you may have spoken with, called uh, Donald Mustard, oh, who has now gone I'd on to... I'd love to chat to Donald, but no, he hasn't been on the show yet. Well, yeah, so Donald, if you, if you don't know, if you're listening, Donald is the guy who is the lead creative of uh, Fortnite, the Battle Royale part. Um, yes. He's now the head of that thing. He's, I think, one of the heads, if not the head of Epic Creative. But what turned me on to Donald, this was well before that, um, is he had done a game with his brother called Advent Rising. And it, w it was a Microsoft exclusive for the, I think it was the Xbox One, I'm pretty sure it was. And it wasn't a great game, but there were a number of things in there that showed that they were really trying to tell stories 
and tell narrative and express narrative through mechanics. And I was like, that's, 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 it. What you're that's for. the, that's what we want God of war to be. We were inspired by games that touched on that, like flashback and out of this world or another world in different parts of the world is what it's called. Um, and he got it and he was just like, yeah, I would love to, I love God of war, but I can't leave Utah. I'm like, all right, no worries. And then around that time I was talking to Corey um, about Max Payne two. And when it clicked for me that Corey was going to be the guy, uh, we were talking about a sequence in the hospital of that game where I think he was drugged or uh, Max Payne oh. was having some kind of head trip and and he was seeing his dead wife and all this was happening through gameplay. And, and, and he and I were sort of geeking out over it. I'm like, okay, this guy gets it as well. He gets that we're not here to make cutscenes. We're here to, you know, uh, uh, express narrative and express character through interactivity. Um, and Corey had also been the guy that came up with... Um, I think one of the most poignant moments in the first God of War, which is when Kratos uh, hugs his wife and kid, it could have been Corey or maybe it was Eric Williams. I forget who it was, but it was one of those guys and transfers his health bar to his family. And literally in a moment of gameplay, you are seeing as much as people want to call Kratos an asshole, he's literally sacrificing his own health, his own life. So his family can survive. And that's all gameplay. Um, There's no, there's no cutscene to show that. Right. So, I, I knew and Shannon knew we're like, yeah, let's let's give it to Corey if he wants it. And, uh, and you know, we were off the races. It, it, well, he may not have wanted it at first. I want to say I think he had to think about it because I think he was like, I don't know. And then ultimately, uh, you know, thank God he came around. And and at that point, I guess you felt comfortable enough that you could then step away. I didn't. I mean, I, I sure. But I didn't. I mean, I was going to step away regardless. And, and at that like point, I mind thing, though, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, yes, I. I, I had become the creative director of all of Sony Santa Monica. And ultimately that team was going to be uh, working on the game anyway, whoever the director was. So I knew it would be okay. And I, 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 it never crossed my mind until this conversation, but I'm sure I was comfortable with the fact that it's like, if Corey steps in and he shits the bed, you know, let's put Corey back in animation. We'll get somebody else. So it wasn't yeah. like, if, you know, it wasn't like you're fucked if you make the wrong call. We certainly did not want to make the wrong call. And it turned out we did not. We made a great call. But it wasn't, it wasn't as this, it wasn't as if, oh my God, we are so fucked if Corey drops the ball. But, you know, we hoped he didn't. And boy, he didn't. He picked it up and no, ran with it. Nailed it. And made the ball, made the ball better. Uh, so in that interim period there, so before you returned to kind of uh, Twisted Metal in 2012, there was calling all, uh, calling all cars which obviously Correct. there's there's a lot of t- kind of twisted metal DNA to that. Um, yeah. What what was that like? Kind of having stepped away and worked on God of War and then coming back to a game in that sort of model again. Um. Well, I I loved it because you know, the last. So whether you're talking about um, uh, things like Game Pass or PlayStation Now subscription services or streaming or digital or uh, at the time, what it was was Xbox Game Arcade yep. uh, it was really uh, huge. One of the first things to come out and say, "Hey, we can also make money and monetize things that don't have to be retail box products." And you know, I had found I had I had been in games long enough that I recognized the uh, you know I recognized the limits that came with putting something in a box and having to sell it at Toys R Us or target or walmart or whatever because at that point you really are a slave to that price point if it's a 60 dollars game or a 49 or whatever the price point was at the time um there are expectations understandably of length 
and subject matter. And I saw Xbox Arcade and I was like, as a creator, I was like, and we were doing it with PlayStation Network. We were starting to, as a creator, I was just like, you know, this is going to allow so much design freedom of, of subject matter. Game lengths can be as long as they need to be. And lo and behold, that's what happened. We got brilliant gyms like Gone Home, Firewatch, Papers, Please, Return of the Oberdin, uh, Fall Guys, Fortnite, on and on and on and on. It really was the revolution. Uh, it was very point. quiet. It was it was a very quiet revolution because I remember at the time, you know, to my credit, you would get asked all the time, "What's what 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 can we do? What what's the biggest cool thing about the PlayStation Three that's coming out that we couldn't do on PlayStation 2? And you know, everybody would answer, "Oh, it's the cell processor." You know, all this bullshit marketing. Spin. And I said, honestly, which is coming back to bite them a little bit these days. The cell processor. Well, yeah, yeah, right. But I was like, ultimately, um, it's it's downloadable content becoming the norm because it is going to fundamentally change the kind of games that we get to play. And I say the same thing about subscription services. It's, it's in, you know, uh, like I said to Colin today, movies are a length because of the business of how long, how many showings the theater owners want to do a day. TV shows are the length because of how many commercials they can squeeze in to either a sitcom or a one hour procedural. Um, albums for the most part, there's a reason they have 12 to 14 tracks on every album. Not that people listen to albums anymore, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know um, and, and, and so the, 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 artistic product that results, uh, is a, is, has direct influence from the business model. And so for me, I have always felt not every game, of course, but so many games suffer, uh, from being bloated and, and, and filled with padding. Um, just to to pad it out to justify that price point. And now I was just like, oh my God, you know, we can allow games to be paced the way they need to be paced. Yeah, because it's appropriate it, for the title. It, yeah, because we're, we're selling it for nine bucks. We're selling it for 19 bucks. We're not selling it for 55 bucks. And we can make it about things uh, that are a little more interesting because the audience, um, you know, they're not investing as much and we're not spending as much on these games. And so we can take some more chances. So, um, you know, for me, calling all cars was really my first shot at that. Um, the biggest problem with calling all cars was, and you know, I had started a company, um, for the first time. I don't think we had officially founded eat sleep play yet, but we were going to, and I knew this was the team I was going to be working with. And I had come off God of War where it was a very hard game to direct because I was very specific about what I wanted. Um, Even though I know a lot of people in hindsight appreciated it, I did not make a lot of friends on that team because I was kind of a pain in the ass. I wasn't mean, but I was like, look, if you don't have a a better idea, I had had a very specific vision and, and there were people on the team that understood the vision and made the vision a thousand times better. And I'm going to miss names, but, you know, Max Ankar, Ken Feldman, Tim Moss, even though he and I, he was the lead programmer, you know, tried to kill each other 20 times during the production. There were so many people on the team that got the vision and said, I get it. I like it. I can even make it better. And they were right. But there were people on the team at times that didn't. And I wasn't going to sort of allow the game to uh, uh, suffer in that area simply because I wanted to be a well-liked figure. And that was lonely. It was a very lonely way to work um, for three years. Um, I had, you know, I had some close people uh, that I'm still close to today on the team, but a lot of the team was just like, oh God, you know, let's just deal with Jaffe as little as we have to, because he's kind of a pain in my ass. I'm like, yeah. Um, And so calling all cars was, was me starting a new company with Scott, um, me coming off 
you know, a very lonely development period where, you know, yeah. uh, and so Calling All Cars originally was inspired by an American uh, sort of underground comic book artist called R. Crumb. And there's a documentary on him, but he did uh, a bunch of like 60s, 50s, 70s uh, pot uh uh influenced uh art and sexual perverted art not i don't think it's perverted but it was like you know quote perverted art um oh, yeah, okay. for the t for, for the time it was very underground um it was very subversive uh it was very hippie culture or maybe even um yippie culture stuff and in that um, you know, there was a lot of sex and drug references and and boozing and all that shit. And that's what calling all cars started as and oh, okay. I yeah, it was still the same game, but that was the art style. That was totally. the tone. That was the emotion of it. And I thought that was great because um, it would still be cartoony. It didn't have to cost us too much money, but it could still have some bite to it. But what I didn't really calculate was I was working with a bunch of wonderful people, but a lot of them were Mormon in Utah and their religion oh. kind of came into Clash. play and they were just like, look, I don't want to do this game where we're seeing naked ladies running around and you're, you know, picking up heroin needles from the ground and shooting them into the criminal. And I'm like, but it's fun. They're like, I don't want to do it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be the good guy now. I'm going to be the friend, friendly director. Um, and also I'm working with these new guys that I'm going to start a company with. I don't want to get off on a bad foot. So I acquiesced, which probably was the right call, but I did so in the wrong way. I ended up doing it... Um, cartoony instead of just going okay fuck it let's make this sci-fi same game but sci-fi same game but game but military same game but game but fantasy but instead we just took the edge off our crumb cartoons and basically it looked like a fucking warner brothers looney tune thing which for playstation 3 which was six hundred dollars um and was purchased at the beginning of its life by a bunch of hardcore gamers mostly guys who were well over 13 years old they weren't looking for a game that looked like something that a little brother was watching on Nickelodeon. And so even though there are people to this day that look back at me and say, Oh, I love, I love that game. And, and they're still playing it. People have said, I've kept my PS three because me and my kid or me and my roommates or whatever, will still play split screen calling our cars to this day. Cause the That's online fantastic. Is, 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 yeah, but, but it, it was, it, it barely broke even if at all, like, I mean, it eat across the finish line because I think you know, it really ignored the audience and what they wanted. The audience didn't necessarily not want the game we made, but they did not want it with the wrapper that we wrapped it in because it was too kitty for them. They're like, that's Nintendo baby shit. You know, I want something fucking cool. I just, I'm, I'm a goddamn grown ass man because he's mostly men at the time. Uh, and I just dropped 600 goddamn dollars on a system. Don't give me this fucking rinky dink Disney shit. And you know, I, I, I didn't see it and it was my job to see it and I didn't see it. And you know, you, you pay the price. So we've bounced around a little bit between various different areas of your career so far, but what we haven't touched on is the Bartlett Jones Supernatural Detective Agency and Drawn to Death. 
So there's obviously a lot of yes. discussion around that period um, in terms of draw to death itself and uh, even the reception, of, uh, the reception of the game, which I'm sure we'll, we'll potentially delve into at some stage as well. But what was it like um, when you were first kind of conceiving that idea? Like, how, how did it actually come to be? So... I, the, the idea first came about when I was still at Eat Sleep Play. Uh, we were finishing up Twisted Metal. Scott Campbell, Callan Hatch, uh, one of the creative directors, and I, I, I remember we were just, you know, I was really into the idea of free-to-play. I didn't like free-to-play in the way that it was being done because I felt it was kind of slimy. Nickel and uh, And it wasn't, yeah, and it wasn't gamer-centric. And, and, and I really was into the design challenge of, can we take the value of free to play, which is, you know, a lot of people funnel in because they're willing to try something for free because the barrier of entry of video games, especially once you start getting above $20, but even then that, that really is something that, uh, you know, really prevents the, the, the industry from growing. Uh, at least it's starting to change, but back then, especially, um, it's not like movies or TV where, you know, every almost every product has a waterfall distribution oh, yeah. method where you start in the theater and then you go to digital sales and you go to digital rental and Blu-ray and eventually it comes to, to commercial television. You know, there's always another, not always, but there's a number of bites of the apple. And in that, audiences of all types, both in terms of financial ability and just interest, they get an opportunity. Uh, are yeah, they get an opportunity to sort of fall in love with the franchise and, and, and actually, you know, learn to go, oh, hey, I really like this. You know, games are very different. Games, you come out and, um, you know, at least if you're talking about a box product or a, re a digital product that's like 30, 40, 60, 70 bucks, you get kind of a good shot at it. And yeah, there'll be discounts and stuff. But by that time, it's not like, you know, the marketing's dead. There's no real display of it. It just kind of goes in the you know, hey, this is on sale on Steam for the weekend. And it's like, whatever. So yeah, to use your language I before, really, you ultimately get one bite of the apple and that's about it, or one really big yeah. bite of the apple and then that's it. Yeah, and it's changing with subscription services, which is one of the reasons I'm a fan of them. But that said, though, uh, back then, especially free-to-play was one of the few ways that was really bringing new players in. And we see it today. I mean, I don't, I don't you know, the news today, I think they said that... Uh, 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 2K just made this year, or, or I, I'm not sure if it was the, you know, uh, what time period, but it was a very short time period where these guys pulled in. Uh, in fact, I'm just going to find it because I, I want to know if it was. Uh, these guys pulled in $3.7 billion um, in. Yeah. Uh, let me let me look in, it up. Real in quick. any measure uh, of time, that's a lot of money. So I know, I know. It's it's kind of crazy that yeah I mean and look certainly the the subscription models are making a massive difference as you're talking about I mean again we keep going I keep going back to this you know taking a bite of the apple phrase that you coined before but like yeah before it was you'd get that one crack and maybe some smaller attempts if the game went on sale now with something like a Game Pass for example you've got that initial especially especially if you're not necessarily launching into Game Pass you might release it and hopefully it does well but maybe it doesn't. But then you get another opportunity right. when when you drop on Game Pass, and you know Microsoft does a fairly good job of saying, "Hey, this is the game, and it's coming out on this date," and you know get excited and that sort of thing, and they don't over. Right, and, and even the very, the very the very nature of having Game Pass, um, if you're an active user, and I am, you know, you're opening it up all the time. So even if Microsoft isn't pushing your title, 
um, when you open it up, like I literally have been obsessed uh, with playing a game called SnowRunner, oh, yeah. which yeah, I've no. never, I've never, never played a mud game in my life. I had seen them. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I, I, I it was just really communicated poorly. I always thought the the covers were compelling. So this new one, I opened up Game Pass the other day, and SnowRunner's there. And I'm like, you know, fuck it, I'll try it. Why not? You know, I it downloads in the background. I'm doing other things, and I'm hell? enjoying the fuck out of it. I've been playing it obsessively. So even if they don't actively promote it, just the nature of opening up the app because you're playing something else, maybe that they have promoted, uh, uh, you know, uh, allows you to to sort of interface with these things that you usually wouldn't. And and certainly free to play. Uh, does that as well and if you i was going to say take two it's 3.37 billion in revenue in the last year um and that's a record for them and the vast majority of it is coming in from microtransactions uh, from nba 2k grand theft auto uh, WWE, oh, all this stuff, you know? And so it's like, I know a lot of sort of core gamers get upset with things like that and I get it. I appreciate that. But ultimately what it really is showing is not so much that people love microtransactions, but people seem to be very, you know, games have had this, you know, very high, you know, uh, or a very deep moat filled with alligators around it. And only the people who really love games in the past were willing to in. sort of, traverse that and get into the, the cool treasure room in the castle and now it's like yeah those things still exist but companies are going wait a minute there's a lot more people who love games we've just been very uh uh off-putting for a lot of people in our in our business practices so anyway i was into this for those sorts of reasons going can we do free to play and take the benefits of free to play but can we do it um in a way that's more designed to connect with actual gamers and come up with business models that are not uh, hurting the gameplay. And so that was the impetus. And then the stick figure thing came about, it was originally called stick figure shootout. And it came about okay. because Scott Campbell and I had talked about doing a series before twisted metal. We were like, let's do a whole, let's do like stick figure dodgeball and stick figure cart racing. And it, it was all going to be very, um, brutal and bloody but fun and that you know we had some art done up and i loved it and i really wanted to go off and do it and scott wanted to do some other stuff so we separated but part of the separation was um i took that property with me and that ultimately evolved into drawn to death it started as doodles and stick figures and it moved to what it is which really was a creative success in many ways but it was a total bad call from a marketing standpoint, we, we probably would have sold a lot more and been actually successful uh, if we would have kept the stick figures because the whole yeah, idea okay. was that we could, we could make characters really fast and all we had to do was like put, you know, uh, 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 a, a, a serial killer mask and a chainsaw in the hand of one. And suddenly that's a brand new character that we can sell for 99 cents. And as long as it's a well-balanced fun character, um, you know, we're able to kind of create, you know, a lot of these dudes. And as we started developing, though, that mindset, unfortunately for me, you know, and it was also hard because it was a third person game. Looking at a stick figure from over the shoulder is challenging because there's not at all. It doesn't have a lot of girth, yeah, of course. you know, by definition. And so it's kind of hard to really appreciate that character from the back 
given most of its sort of accoutrement that gives it its personality is forward facing. And so because of that, and also because we just kind of just through the, the nature of development happened upon more of the idea of, you know, what if we started to make this look more like what kids drew in their notebooks uh, back in junior high and early high school. And we started to find examples of that. And we started to go, that could be a really good story. And it also read really well compared to the stick figures. But it really ended up being this thing where, uh, you know, visually, I mean, you got to understand, you, you can go to these guys' websites who did the art for that game. Um, these are some of the most talented artists that I've ever worked with. They are trained. They have done, I mean, you should see some of their work. And they're literally going, you want me to make this look like shit? And I'm like, well, I don't want it to look like shit. I want it to be pleasing, but it needs to look like someone's drawing it is filled with passion, but has never been trained and really is not trying to be an artist. They just like to sketch while they're in history class. They're raw, you know? They've got some and rough so, edges, that sort of thing. It's not even rough edges. They're just there. It's like, it would be like my doodle. Like most people who sketch in their notebook, like in class, they're not going, I want to be an artist one day. They're just like bored. Yeah. And they're just kind of letting their imaginations run wild. And they, you know, it's, it's just something to do while they're bored. Um, and so the artists were like doing, all, it was really interesting to watch them do things like, you know, they were drawing with their left hand or their non-dominant hand in order to make it look less practiced and less skilled. Um, and we ended up with a look and we ended up with a story uh, that I just loved. But in that, I think we really, uh, I should have been wearing, uh, more of my marketing business hat than just my, isn't this incredibly creative and cool hat? Because there were a number of things we missed. Uh, we missed the fact that even though we knew it was supposed to look rough and raw and even to an extent ugly, when the audience sees that, they don't make that, or a lot of them don't make the jump of, oh, well, yeah, because it's this. They just go, well, look how Last of Us Part Two looks. Why would I play this? This looks like shit, yeah, right? It's like, even though it's supposed to, you know, same thing with kind of the the vulgarity and sort of the 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 the, the sort of earnest earnestness with which we embrace sort of the not just the language but kind of the 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 juvenility of it, uh, if that's a word, uh, it is the now. juvenile aspect of it. It is now, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not ashamed of sort of the juvenile side of myself as anyone who knows me knows. But that said though, the, 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 the juvenile aspect of drawn to death, you know, we've literally seen reviews where it's like, you know, the humor in this game is like 15 year old boy humor. And, and they're using that as an insult. I'm like, yeah, because the entire game world is drawn and created by a 15 year old boy. You yeah. fucking what do you moron. Expect? What do you expect? Well, not only what do you expect, but I expect what I what I expected was kudos for that. I expected them to go, wow, you know, because, you know, when you really dive deep into that game, which very few people did. And again, that's my fault. I don't blame them, but they didn't even a lot of these reviewers, which is their job, didn't really give it a chance in the sense that it's like you can love the game or hate the game. But when you dive into the game, you can't deny it has a lot of heart. It's probably the sweetest game I've ever made in terms of characters. It is all about this kid who is, you know, dealing with this broken home and dealing with his brother who 
uh, has kind of, you know, gone to a dark place after he got out of the military, dealing with this girl that he really likes and just trying to figure out his place in the world. And all of that uh, is is represented in the characters, in the art, in the skybox, in the storytelling. Uh, it is very rich with storytelling and very rich with a story that is about a kid, uh, you know, really trying to plant his own flag and say, you know, I, I came from this crazy shit that I'm dealing with, but there are some good things in my life and I'm going to, I'm going to chase after them. And, and again, I, 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 I have to blame myself. You can't blame the audience for not quote getting it, but I do think in some ways you can blame the, the professional critics that get paid to spend time with the product for just looking at it at face value. So it, I'm, I'm not angry about it. I, I was angry at first. Now I'm just kind of like, I'm bummed because there was really good. It's like being a chef, I would imagine, and you prepare this fantastic fucking meal, um, and then and then you know people just show up and they eat the bread. Yeah, that and makes it's, sense. And they're like, oh, I'm just like, and that's an kind of an okay there, analogy. It, yeah, and I'm just like, really, this, there was some really cool shit in this game, and 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 you know, and I, I had Sony tell me because I went to Sony a couple of weeks after we realized this wasn't going to fly. And I apologized to, to Scott Rohde, I said, um, who runs Sony PlayStation uh, in America. I said, you know, I, I let you guys down. I'm sorry. And he said, dude, I loved this game. The focus testers loved this game. We all thought this was going to hit. He said, um, you know, there's nothing to, to feel bad about. It, it, it sucks it didn't hit, but, you know, that happens sometimes. But there was a theory that it's like, we kind of came out right around the time that a lot of these journalists were kind of, you know, and look, I'm a, I'm a very left, not left, I'm a very progressive, happy to be called social justice warrior. But it was around the time a lot of these journalists, especially, you know, a lot of the San Francisco-based journalists were kind of getting woke. Yeah, far um, more outspoken. And again, I, yeah, and, and it was kind of like, we're gonna, this is going to be, you know, and, and for some weird reason, I have this reputation for being some kind of right-wing guy, which I couldn't be farther from. Um, and so there was a theory that I heard uh, from pretty high up folks at Sony that, you know, this may have got caught in the crossfire of that. And this may have been an opportunity that a lot of these guys saw uh, to make a statement, really kind of make a statement because there were some reviews that weren't kind, but I, I appreciated them. Like I remember specifically the Polygon review came out uh, by a guy named Owen Good and, and he got what we were trying to do. He's like, there's an audience for this. He's like, it's not me. He gave it a five out of 10, um, but it was clear that he had played it. He, he knew it. what it was. He understood it. He had valid criticisms. He had criticisms I didn't agree with, but I could look at that review and go, okay, you're not going to please everybody. I respect that. But then, then you would go to other reviews like the Game Informer guys that reviewed it, and they literally were taking the piss out of uh, the fact that in that game, we have this like narrator announcer. And they're like, this is like so tone deaf. They're saying things like, this guy sounds like he's from a 90s shooter. It's like 2000, whatever it was, uh, 14, 15, 17, whatever. Yeah. What the fuck are they doing? And literally, if you pay more than five minutes of attention, that That's announcer literally, his story is, he was a video game announcer for games like Quake and Doom and all those sort of yeah, uh, over-the-top 90s shooters. And he hasn't worked in 20 years and he lives with his mother and he can't afford a car. And so he got this job and he's so eager to please. 
And I'm not saying that's great writing or bad writing. I'm saying to not even acknowledge it is, is to show that these reviewers didn't really spend enough time with the title to actually do their professional job. Because you could say, yeah, Jaffe, we thought the narrator was terribly written. We thought it was stupid. We thought it was uh, poorly cast. And I'd go, okay, I don't like that you're saying that, but you, you have that right. But to say we were tone deaf because we were picking a narrator that sounded like he was from the 90s, when that is the very nature of what, what the character be, yeah. is, it, yeah, it, it, it's almost like, you know, looking at a movie and saying, um, you know, I, I, I don't like that in the movie Wonder about the kid with the, the facial deformity. Oh, yeah. It's like, why did they why did they cast a kid that's not traditionally good looking? We don't like that. It's like, motherfucker, it's about a kid who's got a facial deformity and how he deals with that. It, it's just it, it really it, you know what it did? It made me lose a lot of respect for mainstream games media um not because they didn't like it i don't i i've gotten reviews before that they didn't like my stuff i'm okay with that i mean i don't you know i'll call them out when it's bullshit but i, I don't I, i'm not like oh my god i'm i i have to get nines out of tens or i i hate you but it was more about how shoddy it was done um and and it was sort of a, a pulling back of the curtain for me of just that revelation of like, wow, man, you know, you and the team can spend years. I mean, you know, Drawn to Death had as much love and passion and effort put into it by me uh, and the team as God of War did, as Twisted Metal did, as any of the hits have. Um, and you can spend all that time making it and designing it and flying all over the fucking world, raising the money for it um, and risking for it. And end of the day... Um, a reviewer can pick it up and if he's not having a good day or in the case of like some of these big outlets, it wasn't even their full-time staff. It's like, yeah, well, let's, let's farm this out to a, uh, the rookie, a freelancer. Yeah. And they, they want to make their name and all this shit. And I'm like, suddenly they play it for 30, 40 minutes. Da, 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 there, there's your review. Pay me my $130. I'm moving on to the next one. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God, you know? Um, and so it, it was, it was a real, Again, and a gamer has a right to do that. They're the end customer, but a fucking professional reviewer. But anyway, um, end of the day, though, uh, it the, the biggest thing I took out of it was like, wow, I really, uh, there are some people in the games media I still have great affection for, um, but I can count them on two hands now. Whereas it used to be, I really enjoyed talking to the press. I liked shooting the shit with games media. Uh, I liked what they were trying to do. I never leaked anything to them, but I was always very sympathetic to their job. And now, other than, like I said, a handful of them, then go fuck themselves. I, I, I think they're just a, 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 a lot of them, at least the ones that are sort of pro prominent right now. Uh, I think they're a bunch of really shitty human beings. Yeah, I mean for a number of reasons, not not just this, but you know. Yeah, I mean whether whether pe people ultimately agree or disagree with some of the some of the the politics of some of these people and some of the opinions of some of these people, there is, uh, and I guess like I kind of work in games media as well between this podcast and a lot of my written stuff for the Player Two website in Australia. Um, I certainly notice the same so sorts of voices, same sorts of messages coming out, and I guess. As and much as in a, in a lot of respects, in a lot of respects, I might agree with some of those, but I also like the idea that we have some degree of diversity to that, and a range and scope of opinions that we can have broader and better conversations about, whether it's games, politics, whatever that might happen to be. And at the moment, it's very one-dimensional. I suppose I'm finding. 
Well, I, I think there's that. And it's also just, look, you know, don't don't stand there like you're the standard bearer of games as an art form when you guys literally will not put out uh, or put enough effort to review uh, a, a game and find out sort of what it really is about. You know, I, 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 I yeah. And, and then the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm doing a video about it or I might do it on my stream today, but uh you know, it's also just the, 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 the hypocritical nature of it. Like today, uh, Kotaku put out uh, an article uh, about the, uh, uh, the the hot tub streaming situation on Twitch, oh, right? Yeah, okay. and, 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 you know, it's fine. I, I don't have a problem whether they support the hot tub streamers. They don't. It, it, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't really care. Um, I think people should not be sexually harassed, but I also think that if a woman or a man or or, or a, a, a non-binary wants to say hey i'm going to show a bunch of skin and if it meets the terms of service of the person of the of the place i'm showing it have at it i'm down with that um but there definitely were articles on kotaku where they were kind of clearly being judgy about sort of how that objectifies women but then today on their twitter feed the ver there's a huge picture about the article, a new article about Twitch's hot tub streamers. And the huge picture is a really sexy, attractive woman in a bikini in a hot tub. It's like, you don't get to complain about the fact that Twitch is using, is basically selling sex to get clicks. And, and then do the same and thing using a photo to get the You do the exact same yeah. thing. That's an interesting And act like you're not going to get called out on it. It's just like, really? And it's just, I just, I don't. I, I, I just, I, I, like I said, there, it, it's been a, a, a process over a handful of years of just going, wow, uh, there's some really shitty people uh, in that particular sector of the industry. Yeah, there's some great ones still too, but you know. Yeah, and ho and hopefully the, we start to get a bit more balance and things start to kind of like in terms of that conversation that we can have as a as a whole community involving developers, gamers, um, media influences whatever you know terms we want to use there hopefully that conversation gets broader and more open as the years go on hopefully yeah i'm yeah we'll see we'll yeah, see you we'll, know we'll see hopefully i think i think that will be a wonderful uh nice little side effect to maybe just society as a whole becoming more open and and less uh divided uh, but right now I think it, it's, it's almost like a side effect of just all the animosity and, and maybe it's evolution, man. I mean, the internet has really not helped, but at the same time, we were going to have to go through this sooner or later, this, this leveling of the playing field and this, you know, shrinking of the world in terms of people being connected the way we are now. Um, and in that it's causing all kinds of havoc right now, but I think in the long run, if we can survive it as a species, uh, I think, you know, I think we were going to have to learn to navigate this sooner or later anyway. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I think it's going to ultimately be a good thing, but right now we're kind of living through the, the, ugly the choppy of seas of it. Yeah. So the, the closure of Bartlett Jones, so there's layoffs and ultimately, and ultimately a studio closure there. Um, I assume at the, at, uh, leading into that point, there was probably already the the seeds, at least, of what the next project would have been before before things kind of took a took a bit of a turn in that space. What what was that like, um, having to kind of, uh, you know, say goodbye to all these people and in, in not not the ideal circumstances, I suppose. Well, so okay, so we we had done drawn to death. Um, I you know it's really funny because I knew within the like Sunday. We launched, I think, on a Tuesday. 
And I was looking at the numbers Sunday and I said, okay, we're fucked. Um, and Sony, at least what they were telling me, they thought we were in good shape for like a couple of months. And I'm just like, guys, have you seen these fucking numbers? These are terrible. You know, do you think that and that's that my fault? I mean, I take, trying I to be nice and pander a little bit. I, or? I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm, I mean, sure, maybe, but I also think you're, you're, you're talking about at the time, a company that really hadn't had too much experience with service-based games. Yeah, okay. And so I don't think they knew necessarily at least the producers who were wonderful producers still are. Um, I don't think they were obsessively checking the numbers of competition like I was and on the internet constantly seeing sort of what the, the daily average uh, user rate is and what the retention percentages is, are and all that. And anyway, so I remember the week the game came out or the week after my agent uh, sent me this beautifully expensive box of cupcakes. Oh, nice. I says, why? I said, why don't you? I said, thanks. I appreciate it. I said, I feel like I shouldn't be getting any gifts right now. It's really rough. He says, what are you talking about? You just had a birthday. You just shipped a game and you just signed a new deal. I'm like, it, but it didn't feel celebratory. It felt like, oh, fuck, we shit the bed. But, you know, we did have another game we were working on. We had a choice between two games to do. Uh, we picked one. I'm still not really able to talk about it. No, that's um, fine. What's that? No, that no, that's fine. I assume it's something you'd well, ideally at some point yeah. like to get back to, but I understand that you can't talk about no, it right now. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I can talk about the process. I just can't tell you what it was, yeah. but it was a publisher came to us, publisher I like very much, um, and it, it all looked great. We were moving ahead. It was really fun. We didn't. We spent about four months over the summer prototyping and then they came out and said, okay, out of these prototypes, let's go with that one. And then we spent another maybe four months in development and it was a business. Uh, there was kind of a, a, an aspect of their business that this was going to sort of be a key aspect of. And then that part of their business was like, we're not really doing that anymore. And yeah, they okay. were, the, that part of the business was the ones that were funding it. And so they, you know, on Friday, I was just like, I, I called them. I said, look, is this going to happen or not? If it's not, that's okay. But don't, don't send us into the weekend, you know, not knowing. And they're like, yeah, I think come Monday, we're going to have to call you guys and tell you that we're going to have to pull the plug. And I'm like, all right. So Nick, who ran the company with me and who co-owned the company with me, you know, we knew it for a couple of days uh, over the weekend and we came in Monday and we were just talking about, um, and to be perfectly fair, this was not like having a dream game canceled. It was, it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. But this was kind of the first thing in my entire career I had ever done as sort of work for hire. We were just like, okay, we just shit the bed with Drawn to Death. I want to keep the company going. I want to keep the lights on. This is a great company to work with who wants to publish it. The funding is great. The people are great. Um, the game is really fun let's just call it like, you know, it's, it's, it's an exercise in craft and learning how to be a better uh, marketing person to make sure the decisions we make are very commercial. And I was like, all right, I can get behind that. And so, um, but when it was canceled, I wasn't like, even though we had the option in our contract to, you know, go around and find other publishers. And we talked to a couple of them. I just, my heart really wasn't in it anymore. Um, because I wasn't like, I'm, I'm going to fight for this game. You know, I would have fought for drawn. I would have fought for twisted. I would have fought for all the other games. But like I said, this one was one that came to me more out of a, uh, hang on, hang on one sec, man. Yeah. What's up, baby? 
ran back. I was trying to get my daughter the DoorDash password. No, no, not a problem at all. I mean, okay. you, you've probably heard it various so, times through the show. Like, I've got I've got a seven-month-old screaming outside the door, so there's, there's, yeah, no, there's no issues in that regard. It's fine. It's they, fine. They, kids keep you on your toes, um, huh? They do, and it's, I like having them around all the time. Yeah. The pandemic's been awful for so many reasons and so many people, but I won't lie. It's been nice that they've uh, – yeah, they're always here. Um, so anyway, though, but but so – you know, it was the first game I had done that was just sort of more like, you know, it, 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 it's birth thing wasn't this thing I had to make. Um, and so Nick and I came back into the office on Tuesday. You know, no one saw it coming. Um, I will tell you, though, that, you know, from the very beginning, um, we hired people and we, we you know, I, I put a premium uh, in my life on honesty and genuineness. Like I, I don't lie. I mean, the only time I would lie at this point in my life is if, if it would really hurt somebody uh, and they don't need to know it, you know? Yeah, okay. um, but other, and, and, and I, I would even struggle with that. Like I just can't do it. Um, and, um, and Nick's the same way, you know, so all throughout the process, you know, these are professionals. They have families and mortgages and all kinds of things. We would always say we're only as good as our last milestone. And that was never, a lot of these guys had experience and women had experience. It wasn't like a way to motivate them to work harder. It was a way to communicate consistently of like, guys, this is, yeah, this is a very, well, this is a very um, unstable industry. And until you get successful enough that you can have, you know, several years of, uh, you know, cushion in the bank, you really are one failed milestone away from having to shut the whole thing down. So we, you know, we stayed in business for four or five years. It wasn't like it was rocky ever. It was always smooth sailing. But the point being is when we called them in on Tuesday afternoon and said, look, we're, we're going to, the game is canceled and we're going to let a large percentage of you guys go. You know, we, you know, we, we did the best we could. Everyone had severance. Um, everybody had insurance paid up for, uh, uh, I don't, it wasn't a full year, but it was a, a decent number of months. Um, we were like, guys, come into the office whenever you want. Use the gear, use the equipment. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like a, you know, it was sad. It was somber and people came back the next day and just hung out. I mean, so, but, but it was, you know. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll tell you the legacy of that company. If I never make a video game again, I, I, I've, I've heard it from, you know, probably I got one last night from one of the programmers. Uh, it's here on discord. I'm not going to read you his name, but he literally said, uh, where did it go? Um, he's now working at a big company. And I said, uh, you know, uh, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. He says, it's good, but it's no Bartlett Jones. I haven't found a studio or experience yet that matched those times. I'm constantly nostalgic for it. Um, I've, I've heard that sentiment from a large number. Not well, I mean, we only had like 30 people, but I, I must have heard that from about seven or eight people. And, and, and obviously, you know, that, I mean, that's the legacy of it. I, 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 I love the company. I didn't necessarily love the work anymore, but I adored the company. I loved the people. I loved the office. I loved the way that we did business. Um, I loved that we were able to stay in business while consistently being honest about things um, and never trying to cut corners. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we, we chose, even when we worked with outsourcing companies, we weren't going to work with sweatshops, you know, and it was like, it was, it was everything. It was my dream studio. 
Um, the only part of it that wasn't the dream was we didn't make anything, you know, that was lucrative and we shut down. Um, and you know, you got to do that. But, um, but the actual Bartlett Jones company, um, and, and also the fans of Bartlett Jones, uh, cause we, we were very active on social media. When we closed down, we invited fans to drive up and take all of our shit. We had all these oh, horror yeah, props. I remember, I remember that. We, yeah. We gave away televisions. We gave away. Uh, a lot of uh, video, you know, I gave away all my awards that I had won in the video game industry. Um, we just like, hey, come take our shit, help us shut down. Um, so as a as a company, as a as a soulful company, and as a fun place to go every day, and as a genuinely good group of people, uh, I loved it. But I think for me, it really did reflect, um, especially after Drawn to Death. I was like, I think I was kind of done. Um, and so Nick and I said, let's keep a skeleton crew of about six or seven people and let's try to make another game just kind of like a, 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 something to kick off. And if maybe we get some traction, we'll hire some people back and hire some more people back and, and get some funding and stuff. But we had enough money to last us for a couple of months with these guys and let's just go. And we weren't two or three weeks in that I called Nick and I just said, dude, I, I it's just, happening. I can't do this right now. I, my, my, I was, you know, you're, you're depressed. You're sad. It's, it's like you just yeah, break up it? with somebody a long, yeah, your long-term relationship. And it's like the next day you're being asked to get out there and date again. It's like, I mean, you could go through the motions, but you know, when you're doing a creative product or any product, but certainly a creative one that requires your passion and it's not there, you can smell it all over the work. Um, and I was like, this is, this is not going to work. And I would rather send these guys home let them have a little bit more severance because we can use that money and just give it to them. Um, and also at the same time, they have a longer, a, a better chance to, to look for new jobs. So at that point I was, I was kind of done, you know, and that's, that's kind of how, you know, and, and it, it took a while to kind of wrap up closing a business with all the, the legalities of it. But um, you know, that's, that, that was kind of all she wrote on that chapter. Which I guess you know uh, that that's you know quite a few years ago now, but makes it really interesting that, uh, and we we'd already started kind of conversing about about this, uh, about you coming on the show, and then all of a sudden one morning I look at my my email inbox and uh, there's a press release there about you and your involvement with movie games recently. Now I'm sure yeah. you're probably limited to how much you can and cannot say about that at this point, and I completely understand. Uh, but what is it like just just dipping your toes back in a little bit again? And obviously it's not necessarily I, 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 the same capacity as it once was. But yeah, like and, and, and I, I and I don't want and I don't want it to be. I mean, I I am enjoying it because what I'm doing at the moment uh, is 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 really helping them shine a light on some of their cool stuff. Um, doing it, it, it's almost a little bit of a of a marketing uh, aspect, but yeah. uh, you know, so I'm enjoying that. You know, I I, I was actually talking. There's there's a game coming out. Um, uh, soon. And I was talking to the QA person last night and I was like, well, send me the latest build. I'll play it this weekend. Um, because they got, you know, it was, it was well into production and, and well into alpha by the time I signed the deal. Yeah, so okay. I'm coming to it new. And I said, you know, let me, let me just play through it. Uh, I've already played through it once, but let me play through it kind of with a designer eye and any kind of things that I think really, we really need to address. I'll make a list, you know, and immediately I started getting back into that bug. bull in the China shop. Well, not the bug, no, but, but, but just sort of the, the habit of going, okay, you know, I, my job is to do everything I can to please the customer. And, and I realized after maybe about 
10 minutes into that conversation, I'm like, I'm not the director of this game. I'm not the producer of this game. Um, you know, it's not, even though if they want me to, I will, you know, I'll put on the, the, the firefighter outfit and I will fucking go to war for it. But that's not necessarily what anyone needs right now. So I, I am having to kind of relearn or actually how to learn how to be a contributing member that's offering valuable insight without becoming the alpha in the room, um, which is which is fine. I don't want to be the alpha in the room. That's just kind of what I'm used to. And so I'm having to kind of train myself to go, that's not you right now, you know. But in terms of, you know, so I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. I, I love games. Yeah, it's a consultant. I, I, I love games. Um, I love video games now more than I have since I was in college. Um, That's great because when you're not actually making them, um, you know, I can't speak to anyone else but me, but when I was making them, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it was, it was challenging to be not for all games, but for most games, it, it was impossible for me to look at games only as the product they were always the competition they were always something to learn from they were always something to compete with um and in that that filtered the way i took things in um and now that i don't have that i am enjoying the medium uh and i'm getting a perspective on the medium that uh i i really wasn't able to get because i got into games before it was playstation so yeah, there's that whole era and change in games from when I was just a fan, which was like, you know, circa 1992 up until about a year ago. Where it's evolved where so much. so much has happened that I was never able to experience it purely. And now that I have, I'm like, oh my God, I'm I'm such a fucking fan of this shit, you know? And so, um, that's awesome yeah, to hear so that because kinda... there can always be the concern that maybe you've been too close and you can become, and I don't mean you specifically, but you, you know, the, the very much like a royal we sort of thing here. Um, that, yeah, yeah. You know, we can get too close to these things and start to lose sight of the forest from the trees and maybe even start to become a little bit jaded as a result. But it's fantastic yeah, I, to hear that I, you're yeah, and kind I of rediscovering that love again. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if you would go to any other game developers and, and they would have a different experience or, or not. But for me, I know that um, I, I can tell you right now in my life, being a fan of it makes me a lot happier uh, than being a creator of it. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't say that like that's hard-won knowledge. I think if I hadn't done what I had done, I would always want to have done it. So it's not like, oh, kids, listen to this wisdom. You don't really want to create games. Yeah, there's games. no regrets. It's not that. It, yeah, it's just that I, I did it. I had those experiences. I don't want them again. I don't care about them anymore uh, other than they were nice memories. And I, I love that people loved what we made. A lot of people do. Um, but now what I'm experiencing now is 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 wonderful. And so... You know, I uh, I'm 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 not looking back right now going other than what I'm doing with movie games. Like I got a call the other day, which was like an amazing opportunity. Like, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, huge budget. Um, they reached out to me. They said, we want you. We want you to build whatever you want with the team that you want. These guys have tons of fucking money. Um, and, and, you know, it would have been, you know, Three years ago, I would have been like, oh, thank God, you know, the, the book, The Secret is real. And I have willed this magic <laughs> thing into existence, you know, um, but truth, 
Yeah, yeah. But truth be told, though, I, I'm going to call him on Monday and say, yeah, I, I'm so grateful. I'm so flattered, but I just, I'm not, I just really, thanks, but no thanks. you know, to quote, to, to, to quote Phoebe from Friends, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'd like to, but I don't want to. Yeah, fair um, enough. So, yeah. And so, which is crazy. But right? you're not it's at the right crazy. place in your life now to, to go and pursue that sort of endeavor. And maybe, yeah. maybe one day things will change and you will, for all we know. But yeah, right you never now. Know. I mean, you know, a lot of it too, a lot of it too. I mean, do I think I could make a AAA game? Yeah, of course I could. But do I want to become the kind of human I need to become in order to do that? I don't. It's so unappealing to me. The obsessing um, and the hustling uh, over that. And, and you know what it is, man? It's the fact that once you've already done it, like if you've never climbed Everest before, um, getting there is like, I just want to do it. I want to have the experience and I want to know what it's like and this and that. Once you've done it, to do it again, just such you have an to ordeal. find a totally, well, you have to, you have to have a different motivation. Um, and really the only motivation right now to do something like that would not be anything other than money. And that's yeah, a okay. terrible motivator for creative work. If you're a plumber, that's great motivation. But if your motivation is to bring passion to ideas, the last thing you want to do is being only motivated by money. No, that, that's fair enough entirely. Now, so I guess on that point, and you know, people reaching out and looking for help and that sort of thing, I, I, maybe it's been discussed previously in the past. Was there ever a tap on the shoulder regarding what became God of War 2018? People just putting the feelers no. out and asking whether... No, no, yeah. not at all. I, I know there was uh, somebody had told me they had seen Shannon Studstill, who ran uh, Santa Monica for a while and produced the, all the God of Wars. Yeah, is it Google uh, these days? You no, know, not anymore. She oh, left Google. Oh, but, she left as well? Um, yeah, but um, that apparently she had reached out to me, but I, I, I know she didn't because I never heard from her. And her and I actually, I, I love her. She's one of my favorite people on the planet. But her and I had a bit of a falling out for a few years during that time anyway. All oh, right. Okay. Um, and so we weren't, we, we weren't even really talking. So I'm like, yeah, that's, if she said that, it's just, it was a nice PR bone to throw my way, but that didn't happen. And I don't even think she said that because she doesn't really lie either. Um, but, but regardless, even if she did, uh, no, it, it was never, if it was discussed, it was discussed out of my earshot. Um, that that might be something uh, they could call me on. So yeah, maybe I, I, internally, I, maybe you should speak to Jaffe, but that's that's about as far as it went. That as far as I know, and then I don't even know if that happened. So yeah, uh, I, I I knew I knew they were making it, and I knew Corey had come on to make it. You know, well before you know it was announced, yeah. but I I was never you know engaged with it in any way other than just being a fan of it, thinking it's great. And I guess that like that would have been really interesting for you to be able to look onto the game, especially as it was revealed and then eventually released, um, as the the father in a lot of ways of the franchise and seeing how much it's grown and changed and evolved. Um, I mean, I did I did go to Sony Santa Monica and they showed me a build of it, you know, oh, yeah. maybe a year before. But I mean, I didn't. I just you know happy to keep your distance. I don't say. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't say this like the the, the phrase I'm going to use is, but I don't really care. I mean, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. It, like the way that will come across to some people is apathetic, or I get a lot of people online saying, "Oh, Jaffe, you're salty. You're really upset." And I'm like, "It's. It, I don't mean it that way. It's just that it's the proper term, and that I genuinely don't feel emotionally connected to it. And and that's not in the same way that 
I care about a guy I see walking down the street as a fellow human. I want good things for everyone, but I don't really have a connection with that person. So I don't, I'm not thinking about that person in a way of, you know, like I am my children or something. Yeah, right. So, um, it, it, it's more like that. It's, it's, it's not like, um, saltiness. It's just kind of more like I, I really, you know, I did, I shot my shot with that character, with that game a couple of times. Um, and I, I get it, man. As a fan of other entertainment mediums, I get it. It's like, how could you ever want to walk away from that? Um, and I get it. You know, I said the same thing for years about Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford. I'm like, how, how are you not making Indiana Jones movies every fucking month? <laughs> this is the greatest character in the entire world. But that's my perspective as a fan. You know, I get to go on and have my life and do this and that and the other. You know, you don't see them struggling behind the scenes to come up with, with a good enough script and do, you know, all that stuff. And so I, I just think it's it's hard for people to understand unless they've been in those uh, similar situations. But all I can say is that the idea of kind of checking in on it and godfathering, it, I, you know, A, when I was directing a game, I wouldn't have wanted somebody doing that over me. Yes, um, and more, and more importantly, it's just like, I, you know, I'm, I was doing my own thing. I, I didn't, I didn't feel the desire to do that. No, I don't blame you whatsoever. And I mean, it's certainly one of those things that has been discussed on the internet in the past. And it's, I'm glad that uh, we're able to put it all to bed here. So we haven't put it to bed. Well, it's no, never, actually, sorry, nothing, sorry, nothing, good point. Nothing there, ever. There, yeah, yeah. There, there, yeah, there are still people who literally think I abandoned Twisted Metal 2012 um because i left the company i'm like motherfucker i worked on that game with that team for a year after i left uh uh eat sleep play uh within reason because there was only so much the team could do um but, but yes course, i left the company get but I, did, I didn't abandon the game yeah and, and even to this day i still have people going i fucking hate that guy he abandoned twisted metal i'm oh, like i didn't geez. abandon it i shipped it i did my job I gave my shares in the company to Scott. I moved on to other things, but I was still there, uh, you know, as a member of the team until we pretty much couldn't do anything else on the fucking thing. But so the point is we didn't put shit to bed, but I appreciate you talking to me. But about it, it. We had a nice sincere conversation about it and hopefully people listen. There you go. For a few we people, got that. For a few people it puts it to bed, hopefully. Yeah, that's right. So as we start to wind things down, I'd like to kind of cycle back to some of the big picture sort of stuff. Is there anyone out there that really has inspired or continues to inspire you in the way you go about your work and whether that's in the actual development work that you've done over the years, even the most recent consultancy or even what we do. And we haven't really touched on any massive depths uh, at the moment, but uh, your growing presence on the internet in terms of YouTube and streaming and Twitch and those sort of things. Is there any, yeah. are there any people that you really look up to and uh, have been inspired by over the journey? Um, and of course you don't need to be a lot, you know, a lot of people it's, you know, I, self-made no, 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 no. no well it's not that it's 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 that i'm trying to figure out because it's it's you know it's in any job whatever the job is it's multifaceted right so there's yes. different you take inspiration about different things so when it comes to um you know games for a long time i was very much inspired by spielberg and zemeckis and lucas i really wanted to make mainstream big budget hits and i did that for to an extent but it's been really funny as i've gotten older i've realized as much as i wanted that growing up if i really had been more in touch with my creative sensibilities even though i still would have made what i made um you know i i 
I I have more in common, I think, with a film director like Paul Verhoeven or a producer like Roger Corman uh, or even like John Waters. Like, I like the fringe stuff. You know, God of War for its time was mainstream. Today, you know, the, look, the very nature of the game I got involved with movie games about, uh, even though they're toning it down for the console version, uh, if you play it uh, on... Uh, PC called Lust from Beyond. I mean, there's dicks and vaginas and sex rooms and orgies and there's sex mini games all tied into this really creepy horror game. Yeah, okay. and it's a genuinely it's a genuinely good horror game. Um, and I was like, oh my god, this is really cool. I usually thought if you're if you have porn in your game, you're just some cash grab, uh, or you don't have porn in your game and you're trying to make a real game. And they're like, no, no, we wanted to make a real game, both. but we also wanted to have, and I was like, you know, and that today certainly doesn't fly if you're first party at Sony, right? It's just, of course. so I, I think the inspirational thing is really, as I've gotten older, I've realized that, you know, the North star I was following looked like Spielberg and looked like Lucas and looked like, you know, uh, Robert Zemeckis, but truth be told, my real North Star was smaller and it was behind that North Star and I just couldn't see it yeah, until right. I kind of, you know, moved a little bit in the field. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm following the Roger Corman, Canon Films, uh, Troma, schlocky, you know, 80s VHS North Star. Oh, that feels more like me. Um, so in terms of, you know, that kind of stuff, that was the inspiration. But in terms of like streaming uh, you know, and videos and internet. I mean, which I just, I'm, I'm loving so fucking much. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, uh, the only thing I'll say is I, what I love about it is what I love about, uh, the, the romanticizing of radio. I mean, I grew up when radio was still a thing. I'm 50 years old. So I grew up when, you know, if you wanted to hear a song, you got lucky when the DJ played it, you oh, call yeah, yeah. in and request it and you'd have a cassette tape and you'd record it. And, you know, I mean, that was the way you got it unless you went out to the store and, and you, and you bought it, you know, and, and that it was like, it was a big deal when you got on the air and it was just this kind of community. And it was just this, neat thing keeping you company while you were doing your homework or playing a video game or whatever. Um, and that to me has been, as I've really gotten into streaming and not like game streaming, but like the shows that I do um, or these interviews that I do um, that to me has just been uh, such a, uh, it makes me so happy, not just doing the work, but when I have people say to me, um, you know, I'm working out while I'm listening to you. I had one guy literally call in from his truck. He was driving a truck across America and he was on his cell phone. This is before we used discord. And I actually had a yeah. cell phone number that you could call, which sucks. I still wish I did, but I couldn't screen the trolls. Um, and, um, he called in, he's like, yeah, I listen to your show a lot. I'm just driving and I wanted to call in and say, Hey, and I'm like, I just, I loved the idea that not just me, but the whole chat and people who were calling in that we were really creating this community that was keeping people at all hours of the day and all parts of the world company. Um, I just, I, I have really fallen in love and been inspired by, uh, that goal. And so, uh, I look at those sort of older radio personalities. I think these days as not kind of the cheesy ones, but the ones that really clearly loved 
radio and loved communication. Um, I, I look at them as inspiration. Obviously, business-wise, I look at someone like Colin Moriarty with what he's been able to do with yeah. his uh, little empire he's building and go, well, that looks like a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I don't think I'll ever be able to do Colin level of stuff, but just kind of following in the footsteps of how did he make that work uh, so well. And Build I think it's that just inspiring to look at- the relationships and yeah. those sorts of things. And the last thing I'll say on that is that, you know, Colin aside or whatever, like I literally, and again, I mean, I, I am, I am very fortunate, uh, that Sony has been so generous, uh, with bonuses and things like that when I worked for them. And I am very fortunate that, you know, I married a woman, I'm not married anymore to her, but we're yeah. still great friends. And we, you know, we still invest together and stuff that she's real smart with our money. And, you know, so I'm not, I, what I'm about to say is it's not, you know, I, I don't currently stream for the money, but I would very much one day love for it to be profitable enough that I could say that is my job, but that is what I do 95% of my time. Um, and just the other day, uh, I was like, oh, this is the first, first month ever that I was able to make as much money in a month um, as I made my last real job, uh, which was Bartlett Jones, which wasn't right. Sony money. It wasn't like, you know, big money because it was a small startup, but it was still like, you know, the point of that is, is not so much, hey, look, well, yeah, it's not so much, hey, look at me, I'm great. It's more um, the awareness of, wait a minute, you mean I can sit here in my home? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you don't under, I just love it. I mean, you might too, because you do the same thing, but I mean, I sit here, I'm surrounded by computer monitors. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing sweatpants. I'm wearing a t-shirt. Um, you know, I, I have this entire world at my fingertips, which is the internet. And I can literally pay my bills and take care of my family and buy groceries and all this stuff simply by being a geek on the internet and talking to other geeks on the internet and doing exactly what I love. It's like, so when you say what inspires you, there are a number of people that I look to, whether or not they're in geek culture or not. Um, that are using things like YouTube or Patreon or, or what have you to say, I'm going to go out and find a group of people that really vibe with what I'm into and let's make products, whether those are streams or videos or whatever, just for that group. And it's, it's the most fun I've had in, in ages, man. It's I, an absolute joy. I'm glad to hear you're enjoying yourself so much. Um, you, I mean, so, I, much, you know, so much, so much. We've, we've discussed this in the past. And even, even as we were recording this morning, it was like 7am for me when we started, when we started chatting this morning. Um, like time zones often don't mean that I can catch a lot of the show or necessarily all of the show, but whenever I tune in, you could tell, you can tell just how much you're enjoying yourself and how happy you are and bouncing off the various people that will call in or the guests that you might happen to have at the time. You, you can really sense yeah. how, how much you're enjoying yourself. And that kind of spills over into some of your social media interactions and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, um, it's, the it's energy just fun. brought it's to the two fun. of us chatting, which was, which was something great as well. So, which, which, Sorry, which one? I said even the energy you brought to when we first started discussing, you know, the prospect of you coming on the show here, you could just feel the energy and the enthusiasm and excitement around that, which was oh, I mean, yeah. fantastically humbling for myself. I, I mean, since, since I've gotten to know you and your show, obviously that has abated, um, because you know, come on, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's where you put the laugh track in. But I, 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 I will say though, um, the, um, uh, should have lost my train of thought, which I tend to do. Um, hang on a second. No, no that's fine. It was a, it was a good one. It was a good one. 
Um, we'll just keep rolling the laugh track media, in the meantime. Uh, social media. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. We'll just Sorry. keep playing it. We'll keep playing it just over and over. No one's going to know a thing. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Well, I don't care. I, I, I like the I like the rawness. I like the realness. But yeah, it's... Um, um, well, I mean, I, cer- I certainly don't have a platform of the scale that you have, but that's one of the things that I really love so much about what I've been doing as well is getting to have those conversations. And whether it's through this show in terms of you know chatting to developers about their work or whether it's uh, chatting to people who listen to the show or I do a little bit of YouTube stuff for the website as well and I'll, you know, just a couple comments that will pop in there. Uh, usually it's a lot of people because our site's called Player 2. A lot of people saying, is this game two, uh, you know, two player? I'm like, oh my God, it's the name of the site. Come oh. on. <laughs> but, um, right, right, right. But like it's those sort of interactions that I, I'm really enjoying, and the fact that I'm getting to have more and more of them as time kind of progresses is really, really nice. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I think it's um, the 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 opportunities that have opened up because of technology uh, have have really been, uh, you know, it, it's a great time. Uh, you know, it's always a great time to be alive if you're lucky obviously i mean i I, you know i'm very privileged a lot of people aren't i get that but in terms of technologically speaking it's pretty fucking cool that this thing didn't even exist you know 30 years ago and now all these businesses and all these ways to relate to people and all these ways to learn have have come online and it's like literally and it's just like wow this is this is pretty fucking cool stuff, man. So, uh, yeah, I'm 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 digging it. I hope I get uh, I hope I get to do it for a good long time. Um, Fingers crossed. But uh, yeah. Oh, oh 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 shit! I almost came back to me. It almost came back to me. It <laughs> was um ah fuck it. Who cares? If, if it comes it's back, we'll, if it comes back, we'll discuss it before the end of the show. Yeah, um, it's a gone. couple curly ones as we wrap up. If you could be credited yeah. for anything, so any game that has ever existed, you would have loved to have just been involved in or involved with in some capacity. What game would it be? Okay, so point number one, the, the answer I'm going to give you is going to sound smarmy and like an asshole. No, I'm sure. But I, in, I, in, well, but I invite you to understand that the answer is the actual answer, and in that there is value in terms of like the assessment of me as a guest on your show of like what makes this guy tick or whatever, and my answer is. I don't really care. Like there's nothing about, you know, I don't in, 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 and I'm sure that says something about me, but I don't, I don't sit around and go, my God, man, if what I could have been there, you know, not just what if, but if I could have been there when they were making adventure for the Atari 2600, you know, I don't, I don't think about it like that. You know, I don't, I, I just don't have those. Um, I, I just, I, I'm just, yeah. I mean, and, and, and a lot of it might also uh, be age. I was looking at, um, I, th- I might make a video about this. What was I looking at? Um, uh, it was, maybe it was a dream. I don't know what it was, but it, it, it was basically images of, I think it was like NES games or uh, stuff from the 80s. I don't know what it was, but it was nostalgia stuff. Yeah. And it was, it was the moment, even though I've thought about this in the past, it was the moment where I really had the most clarity on the idea that, you know, the, we all, no matter the age, once you get, you know, I guess 14, 15 and older, we all have the exact same, for the most part, feeling of the joy, if you're healthy with it, of nostalgia. But what people tend to do, and I, of course, tended to do, 
um, is you actually associate that wonderful feeling and that melancholy feeling at the same time. And, and you link it to specific things, a specific movie, a specific game, a specific piece of box art. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Um, but ultimately, when you live long enough to see the younger generation come come up come through, and i yeah. think you know what it was it, it was reading uh, a tweet is what it was where the person said um marty mcfly if he went back to the future today if he went back in time he would go back to 1990 and he would be playing instead of johnny be good at the school under the sea dance he would be playing smells like teen spirit from nirvana um and and it was like this awareness of nothing inherently magical about anyone's childhood other than the fact that it is their childhood. And, 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 and in that, I think when you say what game would you have liked to have been involved in the minute you start to have that perspective, which I don't think is a, is a wise perspective. It just simply comes with age when you live long enough to see the other younger generations having their own nostalgia and going, that's so crazy that my nephews who are 10 years younger you know, have the same affection for the teenage ninja, teenage mutant ninja turtles. You know that I have for the mega, uh, the the Star Wars Kenner action figures. One's not better. It's just that they hit us at the right magic age. It's timing. And so, yeah. And so for me to go, oh, I would love to be back making, you know, the first Ultima with Lord British. That what it, what it, you know? It's like no, he was just making a game, man. He was he was literally just, you know. People say to me a lot. And not because I'm so special, but I think anybody who made hit games that were big when our games were big, it's like, oh, thank you for my childhood. And I, and I get what they're saying. Like when yeah, I first met Steven Spielberg, I, well, it, it does make sense. But w- what's hard is I can't share that perspective on it because Your I was just working. To this. Yeah. And and so it's just, it, it it's when you go through it, you just have a very interesting angle on a question that i think you were hoping i would have just been like oh yeah adventure on the atari that no, would no, have that's been a cool. really Next. cool perspective on the whole thing i, I really i really appreciate it, that and understand it yeah it, it, it's something i think about a lot because i i think i did used to put a premium on on you know items and totems that really connected me back to a time where things were simpler and and then you kind of realize what that is and you're like oh you know you're you know, you're not, that's not really, that's not really the way to go about getting that feeling back. It has nothing to do with going back and buying all the Atari games you grew up with that, that will last you for about 20 minutes when they come in the mail. And then you're back to going, why can't I get that feeling again? It's like, because it it was finite. You've used it up. Well, then I wonder if uh, this, this last question here is going to elicit a similar sort of response. So uh, the normal final question is, if you could go back and replay any one game, so you just kind of strike it from your memory and get to re-experience it from day one, like is that, is is there a game that kind of fits in, uh, fits in that category for you, or is it a similar sort of feeling to what we just discussed? You know, well, I I I mean, okay, I would rather I would rather choose a movie, but I'll choose both. I'll choose a game first. Um, if I could go back, sure, and, and have the, a fresh pair of eyes on, uh, you know, and not have all the current technology to compare it to, if I were to go back now, I think it's, you know what, it, it's related to the last question in that it's about the time. If I could go back in time for a night and, 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 and be or watch myself as a, 
I don't remember how old I was, eight-year-old, 10-year-old kid playing adventure with my brother and our, our neighborhood friend, Stephen Marks, and staying up till five in the morning trying to beat the dragons and get the chalice back to the castle. What delightful times. If I could go back and never have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and watch it the way I watched it at 10 years old with my mom, my dad, my brother, a packed theater that just laughed at all the right places and gasped at all the right places. Same thing with the movie War Games. Um, I would do that. But that's more about wanting to recapture that feeling state. From that moment, um, yeah. versus Right, versus just a practical, hey, I really like this gameplay mechanic or I really like this story. Uh, I, I get, you know what I would say, if I could go back and experience one thing fresh outside of the feeling state of nostalgia, I would, I would love every year to be able to watch the, the TV series, the West wing oh, yeah, and have nice. no idea what's, what, what's going to happen coming. because that's one that's my favorite show of all time. Fantastic I've probably show. watched the whole series six times through. Um, the reason my company was named Bartlett Jones, part of it was for Indiana Jones. Part of it was Jeb Bartlett, uh, from the West wing. And yeah, uh, so I guess I would choose uh, the West Wing. No, big fan of uh, all the choice there, and, and understand the perspective when it comes to the games as well. And that that, that kind of vacuum of time, it you know, makes a lot of sense. It's not something that necessarily has been discussed on the show in the past, but it's something that actually makes a hell of a lot of sense. And and even like um, going back to kind of our last question there with the credit for anything and the the perspective of you know people and the, their childhoods. Like I see that all the time as a teacher with a lot of. Uh, you know, I work with teenagers and I'm, you know, tw- 15, 20 years their senior, depending on, you know, a different point in time. And of course, what they experienced in their childhood is very different to what I experienced in my childhood. And we can all have these really positive relationships and wax nostalgic about our own uh, different things. But it's something that the others won't necessarily ever understand. Yeah, you only you only understand the meta of it. It's like yeah. you're feeling for that the same thing I feel for this. But I can't it's relate not, to the feelings for that thing. Yeah. Well, you can relate you can. to the feeling, but you can't relate to the specifics of what's causing the feeling because yep. it's like I'm I'm never going to have the same affection for Michelangelo, Donatello, and all those guys and Splinter and all that shit as my nephews do. Because yes, when they were when they were eight, watching it and they were safe and wrapped up in blankets and eating cereal and all that, uh, I was stressed figuring out how I'm going to get into college. Yeah, and that you know that that's that's my experience with it. So that makes a lot but of it's sense. cool stuff, man. It's cool. It's cool to think about when the aliens come. They'll enjoy dissecting us for a little bit. A hundred percent. So, David, thank yeah. you very, very much for coming on the show and sharing all these. Of course, amazing thank, thank you for having me. Um, if people are looking to reach out, get in touch, or just see what you're up to, you know, keep an eye on the stream. Where would they be best to go? You know. I have a website, but it's it's not set up yet. The best place to find me, honestly, there's two ways. One is David Scott Jaffe, at David Scott Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E, which is over on Twitter, of course. And then if you just go to YouTube and type in the search bar, David Jaffe, that'll take you right to my channel, um, which is updated constantly. We do live streams um, at least two or three times a week in terms of an actual show called Gabbit and Games. I've been doing more and more interviews uh, on that channel as well. All of it is very live, interactive. You can call in on the Discord. Um, but those are th- those are the two best places, um, at David Scott Jaffe, and just go into uh, YouTube and type uh, David Jaffe, and 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 I'll be and I'll come a call. I'll, I'll come a knocking. Yeah, and just like uh, I mean, as, as you mentioned, you can jump into those calls and chat at any time. It's it's a fantastic thing that you've got going there, and the community seems to love it. So. Um, yeah, you, do it's, it's, really you never work. know who's, you never know. Yeah. You never know what it's going to, you know, that's the fun part. I have ADD. Literally I've been diagnosed with it and, uh, you never know you what toes. the next call is going to be. So you're like, Oh, th- this could turn the show in a totally different direction. 
and sometimes you get a dud and the viewership drops and sometimes you're like what the fuck did that guy just say and it spins you off on an hour tangent where everybody's buzzing because what they said exciting. was so interesting i mean i literally had a guy the other day call in the middle of the show and say you know boogie the youtube personality oh, yeah. um you know like boogie just got arrested he's in jail and we were in the middle of talking about Nintendo or something. And and we're the like, what? just completely spun in and a different direction. We're, we're talking about Boogie, you know? So it's fun, man. It's good. I, I hope some of your viewers stop by or some of your listeners stop by and give us a shot. But, yeah, make uh, sure to go listen. Yeah, but I appreciate you spending some time with me today and talking about all this good stuff. And, and I'll see you on the internets, pal. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing everything and listeners. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been David's story. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.